Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. St. Louis Cardinals absolutely have the type of players that the Nationals are asking for, which are major league ready talents. And like the Padres, the Cardinals might not be looking at Soto as being someone they would sign for years and years and years. But for the next two and a half years, he'd be a great addition for them, especially in a a lineup which is generally very right handed. You could drop Soto right between uh, Goldschmidt and Arenado. Oh, you thought we were going to start another way? You thought we were starting with anything else other than Juan Soto today. You are sadly mistaken. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Kirby Smart Extension. balloon party? I kid, I kid, it is all love here. I kid. Oh, um, God, him. <laughs> listen, man. I have done a lot of introspection over the last 48 hours or so. Soul Alex. searching, huh, BK? Yeah, yeah. If I'm going to be the guy that have sits one of those, here so. and says that the Cardinals should basically be in on everybody that is good, how can I also sit here and tell you that they should not be looking to acquire Juan Soto? How the bleep is that my opinion? Isn't it? How am I the guy that's saying that? Isn't it great how we've gone from Madison Bumgarner, you got to trade for that, to Corey Kluber, where you got to trade for that. <laughs> and, and, and now we're at the point where it's, God, it's Juan Soto or bust. Guys, I started looking more into the Juan Soto thing. Do you know he's like really good? I've, like I've heard really, really good. I've at the baseball. heard the comp is Ted Williams. That's what yeah. I've heard. Do you know how many players have been more productive at the plate since Juan Soto entered the league in 2018? Ted how many Williams. would you guess? Oh, wait, he didn't play in 2013. Zero. It's literally two. Okay, hold two. on. Hold on. Since 2013. So the two guys that would. He's, he's 28. He's 23, man. Did not into the league in 13. He said 13. Oh, okay. 2018. And there's two? There's so two. Mike Trout would be one of them. That is correct. Future Cardinal Mike Trout. And then the other has to be Harrison Bader. Otani? No, Otani hasn't been there. That no, Otani hasn't been that good that so like quick. Manchado it's Jordan like Alvarez. That? That's it. Wow. The only other guy that's been more productive. Props to Jordan. Last, yeah, over the last four years than Juan Soto. This is not breaking news to anybody. But the reason why I bring it up is because 
I was listening to the Athletics baseball show yesterday, Alex, and it started making me reconsider everything that I've been thinking about this entire conversation. Here's what Mark Kerrig of The Athletic had to say about Juan Soto. This is the one time where you're like, the hell with it. Let's get weird because it's never happening again. <laughs> Look at all the that's had to happen for this to even be a conversation. The ownership situation, the Nationals actually winning that championship, a pandemic striking right after. Do you think it's ever going to happen again? No way. This is a freaky, weird, one-of-a-kind situation that, in my view, requires freaky, weird, one-of-a-kind thought process. And if that means you got to deviate from your plan, shave off your prospects, eat a ton of money, and get yourself a generational guy for two and a half years, and perhaps maybe more, you do it. This yeah. is the one time that you do it. Mark said freaky weird three times and dropped the S-bomb twice. That man really wants to see a Juan Soto trade. I mean, can you blame him? Can you really blame him? In his career, his on-base percentage is over 400. He has a higher walk rate in his career, Alex, than a strikeout rate. He has struck out more than 100 times in a season once, once in his major league career. His batting average for his career is approaching 300, and over the last two seasons, it was over 320. Juan Soto's unreal. So here's what I ask you, Alex, as we continue having this conversation. And again, the only reason we're talking about this is because the Cardinals continue to be brought up as a legitimate suitor for Juan Soto. Every single person on the national outlet, the first team out of their mouth with Juan Soto is the Cardinals. Yeah, it's the Cardinals are in the same conversation with the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves come up from time to time, the Giants come up from time to time, and the Padres come up. Those are the teams that you're in company with. There's not a ton of teams that are even in this conversation. The Yankees as well are involved in this as well. Alex, have you reconsidered your thoughts on this at all? And do you think it is time, as Mark Kerrig said, to say bleep our process? This is the guy. This is the guy that you get freaky weird for. There's freaky weird again. It's like the Pete Alonzo, big, strong man. Yeah, this is the time. I mean, let me ask you a question with another question. Like, if if now isn't the time, when is the time? Because that's the one thing I don't understand when the argument comes out from so many people of, oh, it's just too much to give up. It'd be too much to give up for a middle-of-the-pack star. Like, it would be too much to give up in the Christian Yelich trade when you wanted him from the Marlins. This isn't too much to give up for a guy who is one of the best players in a matter of four seasons in Major League Baseball. So, yes, I know you need pitching. Yes, I know that you aren't willing to walk away from all of these great prospects that you've been told are going to be the next Albert Pujols or Oscar Taveras. But when do you feel like it will be the time to go after this? Because it's a once in a generation player that's going to be available. You currently have an MVP in Major League Baseball, another guy who's in the MVP conversations, another guy who's pitching like a Cy Young candidate, two guys who are potentially in the Rookie of the Year conversations, and a guy who led the first chunk of the season in war. And you're going to tell me that now isn't the time to go after this? And then the other thing that I was thinking of last night, because I was soul searching like UBK, we spent an entire offseason as Cardinals fans talking about doing whatever we could to trade for Giancarlo Stanton. 
everything was on the table for Giancarlo Stanton. And it didn't happen because he didn't want to come here. You have no idea if Juan Soto wants to come here. Frankly, he doesn't really have a say in this. But now you're not willing to give up everything for a player who's better than Giancarlo Stanton? I'm just a little confused with it all. Problem for me is I'm not sure that he's the one piece that puts you over the top, and that's why I'm hesitant to go all in on Juan Soto. But Stanton was? I, well, it's a di- I will I, say I it's, it's a different, different situation for the Cardinals compared to when they were going like, after Stanton. Stanton was because you didn't an have, outfielder. Yeah, you didn't have Goldie and Arenado on the roster that at that point. But that's yeah. why this and should so you, be more of the reason to do it. But I, to me, I don't... I Look, Stoltz has brought up a good point on the fast lane, and I've referenced this a lot in the week or so we've been talking about Soto, that the Cardinals should go get good players, not just focus on their needs. The problem for me is that Soto's not a need, and by go getting him, I think it opens up more holes on this Cardinals team and in the system as a whole. And, and that's my biggest fear. But where they are not one piece away. Where does it where open up holes? holes on the team? I think if you're not, trading, not the I think if you're I, trading, I, if you're trading from your big league roster, if you end up parting with two top end talent guys, like say you're parting with, I don't know, Yepes is I know name we've thrown out there. Gorman's another name that we threw out there yesterday. I think you start to, de- but you're replacing some with of your Juan depth. Soto. I get it. I don't think Soto is the piece that puts the Cardinals over the top to go win the World Series this Can't year him. in the next two real, years. Real quick, so I, I was looking over at MLB.com and they put together trade packages for a bunch of different teams. It was interesting they did not have one for the Cardinals. I found that to be surprising. That's but going telling. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Going through their their packages that they put together, the equivalent for the Cardinals of what these other teams were giving up would be Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, Gordon Graceffo, and like a Malcolm Nunez type. Carlson, Walker, Wynn, Graceffo, and then one other prospect. So, and uh, to me, you're filling the hole of Dylan Carlson with a better option in Juan Soto. Correct. I, you're not refilling the hole of Jordan Walker. Maybe if you keep Juan Soto, then you're not talking about Jordan Walker. I don't know about that. And then from there, like, you're taking minor league prospects that might be good, might not be good. That The reason why I wanted to throw that out there is because, Tanner, when you said they're opening up a hole on their major league roster, it's possible they don't. It's possible they don't have to, and they just send, like, you're replacing Carlson, as, as Alex said, with Juan Soto, which is an upgrade. Like, objectively, everybody would agree with that. And then you're giving up a bunch of prospects. And I'm not saying necessarily that they should do this. I'm just more open to the idea today than I was 24 hours ago as I've considered giving it more and more thought about where the Cardinals currently are in their life cycle. You have Paul Goldschmidt at the back end of his prime. You have Nolan Arenado at the back end of his prime. You have Yadier Molina in his final year soon. You have Adam Wainwright, who is having a very good season. I don't know if you're going to get another season like this out of Miles Michaelis anytime in the near future. Maybe ever. You have Tommy Edmond, who has really acclimated well to the shortstop position like everything is setting up to where either now or in the next couple of years this should be your winning window for the cardinals and so as i've thought about it more i've thought okay maybe it does actually make more sense that i've given it credit for and when i see a package like that that does not take away significant assets from the current major league club it does change my tune a bit Tanner, does it change your tune at all if you're not taking away those pieces from the Major League roster? If you're not taking the pieces from the roster and it's just Carlson, then a little bit. But I still don't view this team as they're in that all-in stage on Juan Soto right now. And and because I know you're just getting the two years from him, and I know we've talked about it, I don't think 
getting Juan Soto as the piece that takes them over the top right now and in the next year or so with him. I I just think that if you can keep Walker, which is the piece that has to go in this deal, I think Jordan Walker you need to keep in your system because you're getting the six years of control with him, and I think you can continue to build a better all-around team. This guy. I get it, but I think you can build a better team all around by not – throwing the farm at Juan Soto, and then you can be a player in free agency for all of your other needs, because I do think... Are they ever a player in free agency? In- the, yeah, that's true. I think they, they haven't... The, they've I'm been serious. in the past, but it's never been... It just hasn't worked. Like, Fowler was the, the big signing for them. The biggest acquisition this team has made in the last five to seven years is who? Probably, what, Dexter, Dexter Fowler? Fowler? Brett Cecil? Like, those are the two that they've been playing. for. They don't, am, I, am I avoiding Juan Soto so I can sign the next version of Dexter Fowler or Brett Cecil and name a or free, Miles Michaelis Name a free agent Steven that's Matt. better than this that the Cardinals could pursue because everyone's going to say, Otani, that's not happening. You're not going to pursue Shohei Otani. They don't pursue guys, and there's not a starting pitcher because I know everyone's clamoring for, well, you need starting pitching help. That's how you'll win a World Series. One... There's not a guy out there that you can realistically make the trade for that the Cardinals would be willing to put a package together that makes that much of a difference. And look at free agency. I mean, they didn't even want to go after Max Scherzer, who was a lot of money. Yeah, but see, I didn't think Max Scherzer, as much as Max Scherzer would have been great to have, I understood the thought process from the Cardinals. Rightfully of, so, but if... Hold an, out and see what you have and go get your signing with your depth. I think they should sign Scherzer. I, but what I'm saying is that is the pinnacle of starting pitchers on the market. Regardless yeah. if you think that they should have or should not have gone for it, they weren't willing to pay that money. Pitchers are going to ask for around what Max Scherzer wants on the free agent market. They're not going to go after and, it. And even if they're not, like... There was also Marcus Stroman, and there were others, yeah. like R- Rodon. Like they're, they're just not the team that's going to pay $25-plus million on the open market because they don't like winning those bidding wars. And hey, man, that's a smart way to go about your business. Like Winning free agency battles, we've seen the teams that do it more often than not. Look at the Texas Rangers right now. You want to be that team? I don't. I, I don't. Winning that is a losing bat- losing proposition over the long haul. And so the reason why I've started to reconsider this is because I actually do think that Juan Soto might be the missing piece. I, I've i started thinking more about the Patrick Corbin side of things, and maybe he could be a number five starter for you. And my big question about adding Patrick Corbin into the deal is this. Does that preclude you? Is the opportunity cost there so great that you can't, as Tanner's mentioned, and I think it's a fair point, it's a fair question to ask at a minimum. Does it prevent you from then being in on other things in the future? The answer is a resounding yes. Like you are going to be limited in what you're able to do over the next two off seasons because you have Juan Soto and Patrick Corbin, but also you have Juan bleeping Soto on your team. (laughs) So you don't need to do as much. And Patrick bleeping Corbin. Guys, I've convinced myself that they should do that. I would lose hair watching Corbin pitch. (laughs) I don't know if Corbin would be that bad in St. Louis. I mean, hey, we, we withstood John Luster. I, I don't think he would be that bad. I think people would be furious that they're paying $30 million for yeah. that guy. Like, th- there would definitely be frustration. It's there's, just there's money, no doubt man. It. It's just money. Unfortunately, like, I understand it's not a capped league, but they do have a budget. And so you're going to, like, if you made this deal, this is it. And this is why I think it's an interesting conversation is because the Cardinals never go all in. And they've been criticized to the high hills for not going all in, for not making that last move that puts them over the top. This would be that move. This would be the move where you say to yourself, all right, we're putting all of our chips into the middle 
and we are betting on Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright and Nolan Gorman and this core, this is the group that can win us a title and maybe even multiple titles over the next three years. I've changed my tune. I say bleep it, go for it, man. Because as I was listening to the fast lane yesterday, I think Anthony Stalter convinced me, man. I, I think he convinced me. Yeah. Said, listen, there is not a Juan Soto of the pitching staff. And Alex, here's the second part of this. I would even take it one step further. If there was a Juan Soto of the pitching staff, I would not be having the same argument because I would be terrified that they're going to get hurt. Yep. You have Juan Soto for the next two and a half years. And the likelihood is you're going to get something resembling what the back of his baseball card looks like right now. In the back of his baseball card, the only guy that you can compare him to, this is not me, this is national analyst, is Ted Williams. It's the closest thing we've seen to Ted Williams since Ted Williams. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, Juan Soto is, is a missing piece for this team, regardless if he's a pitcher or he's not a pitcher, because of the type of player that he truly is. And you're adding him to an already really good group of players on the offensive side. And I don't think your pitching staff, like your pitching staff right now is not good enough to win a World Series. But your pitching staff is in a better position if you have Juan Soto on your team because of that offense he provides. Because you're not asking guys to go out there and win 2-1 ball games. Because Juan Soto provides more offense, more of a threat in your lineup. And your pitching staff can have a little bit more comfort going through things. And see, I... I, I I was going to say, I just lean on it to where I view it as even with Juan Soto in this lineup, I'm not sure this pitching staff's good enough to go win a World Series. And that's essentially what I'm talking about. I'm I'm leveraging part of the future by giving up a Jordan Walker who's going to have six years of club control for a Juan Soto, essentially like a two-year rental to go and try and win the World Series. I just don't think that this pitching staff's good enough to do that. And if you have to throw Corbin into that conversation, pulling you out of the free agent market, and as we talked about yesterday, potentially letting Adam Wainwright walk, I think essentially your pitching could potentially get worse than this year. And then with that kind of pitching staff that I'm potentially picturing moving forward, I'm not sure that's good enough to win a World Series, even with Soto in smack dab in between Arnato and Goldie. I think that your lineup is certainly good enough to win a World Series. You're starting to play the game that the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves, all of those top contenders are playing. Your lineup will stack up against those teams. And as I go through the rotations, here's what they did. The World Series winners over the last five years in terms of their ERA. Atlanta, 3.8. Washington, 3.5. Boston, 3.8. Houston, 4.0. Chicago was an outlier. They had a 2.96 ERA in their rotation. They were unbelievable in 2016. And then the Royals, 4.3. You guys know where the Cardinals are at this year in terms of their ERA as a starting pitching rotation? No, like 3.8. 3.9. They're right in line with all of these other World Series winners from previous years. And here are the similar batters, according to baseball reference, to Juan Soto through age 22. Mike Trout, Frank Robinson, Bryce Harper, Miguel Cabrera, Mickey Mantle, Henry Aaron, you may have heard of him, Orlando Cepeda, Giancarlo Stanton, Ken Griffey Jr. I want that guy. That guy makes my pitching staff not have to win three to two games quite as often. Now I'm winning five to three, five to four, seven to four. And it makes me feel like this team has a real shot to win once they get into October. You got a middle of the heart, middle of the lineup that includes Juan Soto, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Now you're playing with the big boys. Bleep it. This is when you go all in. Oh, bleep it. I like it. Patrick bleeping Corbin. 
<laughs> I can't wait for Patrick Corbin to pitch for your I'll St. Buy Louis Cardinals. I will buy, if they build this deal off, I will buy a Patrick Corbin Cardinals jersey. I'll buy one with you. And I'll wear it the enti- the rest of the season. Right, how about you guys give we'll me a We'll buy Soto one for one. the listeners. We'll raffle yeah, one off. Every day for the rest of the season, I'll Whoa. wear a Port Patrick Corbin jersey. No, no, Mark no, no, it no. down. <laughs> Alex has some afternoon money I wasn't aware of. No, I'm actually um, just under the understanding that Mo's not going to make this deal, so it's worth the, the Cardinals, bet. If the Cardinals trade for Juan Soto and Patrick Corbin, you hear it right here first, we will buy an authentic authentic jersey yes. of both players, and we will give it away on this show. And Tanner will that come will clean happen. your pool in a banana hammock. Yep. That You're will welcome. happen as well. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive we into some NFL quick hitters. <laughs> but coming up next... <laughs> Why not just live a little bit? The Blues have to do whatever it takes to get Matthew Kachuk to. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm hearing that the likes of Pareko, Kairou, and Thomas are not on the table. So I don't know where this goes at this point. I do know that the St. Louis Blues feel their window is now to make some noise and make some moves. But if I'm Calgary, that's where I start. I start with Cairo. If it's non-negotiable, then you know I've got to make it negotiable. And I've got to maybe look at other options because that's a piece that I would covet if I'm Calgary. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That was the conversation that we had yesterday here on the show. I thought it was a really good one. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. That was with Ryan Leslie of Sportsnet up in Calgary. Alex, he basically seemed to believe that the Blues are playing hard to get with Jordan Cairo. That, yeah, that's probably the piece that's going to be necessary for the Blues to trade for Matthew Kachuk. And the Blues, as of now, according to his sources, aren't really all that interested in trading him to Calgary. I think that'll change. I think over time that will be necessary to change if they want to get Matthew Kachuk. And Alex, I actually view this as quite a bit different than the situation with Juan Soto. With Juan Soto in the Cardinals, I think it'd be really cool if they traded for him. And I, I I don't actually think it would be a bad idea, as I've changed my tune on this a million different times over the last two weeks. With Matthew Kachuk, I think it's necessary. As I look at the roster today, I don't think the Blues stack up very well with the top of the Western Conference. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I don't think that they are as good today as they were at the end of the season. And that team was still a bit away from the Colorado Avalanche. I think they have to do whatever it takes to get Kachuk because Kachuk is going to be traded by what is the date? August 11th. August 11th is his arbitration date. And we've had that confirmed this morning. Yeah. So in the next three weeks, basic or two, two and a half weeks, Matthew Kachuk will be traded from the Calgary flames and all expectations seem to indicate he will resign for the max eight years, wherever he ends up. Otherwise that team wouldn't be trading for him. Right. This is the time. This is when you, if you're the Blues, absolutely go all in for this specific player. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think you're at the point now where if you're Doug Armstrong, you have to make this trade because Nashville continues to improve. 
Colorado is going to be the same, if not better, next season. Now that they got goaltending, they know their defense is locked up. And then who knows with Nazem Kadri. And in my opinion, Dallas is in this Matthew Kachuk running. They've got a good team and they've got the cap space and the assets to make the move. I just don't think if you're the Blues, you look at this and you don't want to give up Jordan Cairo. Okay, understandably so, because Cairo might be a superstar in the making. But if you don't get Matthew Kachuk, and let's say you go into this season with the roster in place. I think they got a good roster. I think you compete. You're a playoff team. I don't know how far you go. That We just saw what takes place in the playoffs really makes a difference. Next season, though, I don't know where you're at because you're not going to have Vladimir Tarasenko. I doubt he's going to be willing to re-sign. You're going to have Kairou and Thomas and Shen and Buchnevich and Saad and Neighbors and Bolduc, but your depth starts to take a massive hit. And all of these other teams might be opening up windows for them. So I just think you're at the point now where you see this opportunity in front of you and making a trade, in my opinion, puts you in the same caliber as the top teams in the West, Colorado, Edmonton. You go into this upcoming season from a lot of people's perspective as one of the favorites to get to a Stanley Cup if you make this move. But I think you have to make this move because if you miss out on Matthew, I don't know what Route B looks like in the next couple of years other than say, I hope my young talent turns out to be great. And that's and that's kind of where I am too. Is I I look at this and I say I think right now this Blues team is worse on paper than it was at the end of last season, and they still have that room to go make that upgrade and make them significantly better in the Matthew Kachuk route. And you look at it, you mentioned the Dallas Stars. You don't if Dallas makes that move. I mean, you're talking about potentially being the fourth best team in the in the division. And in my opinion, I wouldn't put all my eggs in one basket on Jordan Cairo. As much as I love Jordan Cairo, and I think he has the potential to be a superstar. I could also see Jordan Cairo not panning out to be what we think he could be after seeing the second half and what he had this season. So I, if you're hesitant to include Cairo in a package, I understand it, but he's not the reason that I wouldn't pull off a Matthew Kachuk trade. There's not one person on this team that I'd say I'm hesitant. Let me, let me change this. There's one person on this team that I would say I'm hesitant to trade and I'm not Logan going to Brown. trade. Logan Brown. No, Robert Thomas. That's it. Anybody else you want to have a conversation about, I'm willing to listen because that's the type of player Matthew Kachuk is. You're not only getting a guy who's got 100 points in a season, you're getting a 23-year-old who has been a 60-plus point player every season in the National Hockey League. Tell me how many of those players come around at this age. They don't. This is a – we we talked about the Soto deal and how that's rare and it, like, never happens – This is almost even more rare in that there's an added benefit to it here in St. Louis. Matthew Kachuk is from here. He's a St. Louisan. His dad played here and is a beloved member of the St. Louis Blues organization. Now you have an opportunity to bring that guy home. And the only thing that I can compare this to, Alex, because I we talked about this a little bit before the show, where it's like, hey. When was the last time you had a 23 or 24-year-old athlete at the top of his game? So we're talking about a a legit top 10 player in the NHL with Matthew Kachuk. That's where he's already at at as a 24-year-old right now. And that guy not only wants to be traded, but based on all reporting, wants to be traded here, home, to St. Louis. Man, that just, that doesn't happen in the NHL, in Major League Baseball, in the NBA, like the closest thing that we came up with is 
the Brett Hall trade back in, two, in 1989. But at that point, Brett Hull only had really half of a season of success in Calgary. This is, what is it, five seasons yeah. of sustained success by Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. And the other one that you could point to, it wasn't a trade, but a signing. Brendan Shanahan might be the closest thing that you can find that the Blues have done that would be similar to what they could accomplish by trading for Matthew Kachuk. Man, those were franchise-altering moves that led to that run for the Blues in the 90s. That's what this would be. What you're doing with Matthew Kachuk and Robert Thomas as the starting point for your roster is essentially what Brendan Shanahan in the early 90s and Brett Hull were for the Blues. Yeah. I mean, someone texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 and said, okay, how good really is Matthew Kachuk? Well, the last 100-point player that the Blues have had was Brendan Shanahan back in the 90s. That was the last time they've had a player who's had 100 points. And Matthew Kachuk is coming off of that 40 goals, 60-plus assists. The Blues just haven't done this. And frankly, they've been in a position not to do this because for the longest time, they were rebuilding. They were drafting at the top of the draft. They were getting the Eric Johnsons and the Petrangelos and the Perrons and the Oshies and the Berglunds and getting to the point that they could win the Stanley Cup. They were aggressive in 2018, but... I think we all could agree. Ryan O'Reilly was a great player, but Ryan O'Reilly wasn't a Matthew Kachuk level player. And Ryan O'Reilly was also 28 years old, 27 years old when they were able to acquire him from Buffalo was having a down season, but they were aggressive that off season. They went and got all the pieces that they needed. Now you're at the point. It's not the same, but you're at the point that the Chicago Blackhawks were at when they signed Marion Hosa to that big contract because they knew the building blocks were in place and they just needed that one last guy. And I think the Blues are there. You've got the building blocks. And I know people will say, ah, well, you're trading the building blocks to get there. In all reality, you're moving one building block for the same building block, if not better, in Matthew Kachuk. Because next season, you're not going to have Vladimir Tarasenko. Next season, this season, you're not having David Perron. Next season, you might not have some of these guys on your roster. But if you don't make this trade, next season, you're not going to have those guys, and you're not going to have Matthew Kachuk. And that's where I'm at with this. So, yeah, this is a unicorn, as Jamie Rivers has mentioned. These players don't come along very often. And if he's sitting there with an opportunity to trade a piece that, frankly, you can move and the eight-year contract extension in front of you, I, I just I don't, I don't know if I can understand the other side of this saying, well, we just couldn't fathom making that trade. So here's the other thing to keep in mind. Like, I know a lot of people are... are are having a tough time with the idea of, of paying Matthew Kachuk what it's going to cost and also trading Jordan Cairo plus more. Think about it this way. Jordan Cairo is going to cost you starting not this season, but next year, basically the the Robert Thomas deal. Yeah, maybe 500000 less AAV. You're probably looking at eight years by $8 million. Would you be willing to pay an extra one, maybe $2 million per year to upgrade from Jordan Kairou to Matthew Kachuk. Of course you would. Every team in the NHL right now presented them that and said nothing more. Said you can go from Jordan Kairou on your roster as your starting top line right winger to Matthew Kachuk and what you have to pay every year is an extra million to $2 million per year to be able to do that. Every single GM in the NHL is signing up for that right now. What you also have to do now is add in a couple of extra prospects or draft picks to be able to get there. And Alex, I cannot tell you how quickly 
I would be willing to do that. You give him the no move clause. You know, he's probably going to be, I know people are, don't want to hear this right now, but it's probably true. Probably going to be the next captain of your <laughs> roster. Yep. And he's likely going to make nine to $10 million on an AAV on his next deal. And you get it done. You get it done because this is, as you said, a unicorn. This is the type of deal that is only possible, by the way, for the Blues because he's from here. All of this is setting up to be the exact type of player that, much like Juan Soto in the last segment, this is the one that you push the chips in for. Real quick, BK, if you don't make this move, and let's go down the hypothetical path that he signed or he gets traded and signs with Dallas, you're the fourth best team in the Central Division, in my opinion, going into next season. Agreed. Dallas is better. Colorado is better. And in my opinion, Nashville's on the same level as you. But Nashville just signed Nito Niederreiter today. That makes their offense better. If you if if Dallas makes the trade for Matthew Kachuk, you're the fourth best team in the Central Division. If you make the trade for Matthew Kachuk, you're tied with Colorado as the best team in the Central Division. That's the way I look at this. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved. We got this from the 314. Really happy listeners all around here in the St. Lou. Hey, guys, I am done listening to this. You can't keep beating the dead horse. Move on. You're desperate to continue to talk about this same thing over and over. When the same thing is yours. Here's one thing that I do want to add here, Alex. It is a really cool time to be a St. Louis sports fan. Heck yeah, it is. Your teams are currently linked to one of the 10 best players in the NHL and arguably the best hitter in the sport of baseball. Like, those guys are real possibilities to become members of your teams. And, yeah, when that's possible, we're going to spend some time talking about it here on 101. And then come August 2nd, when the MLB trade deadline's over, then we'll be miserable again, and we'll go back to just talking about Jose Quintana as your fifth starter. Yeah, and you guys can continue complaining. By the way, the best part about them trading for Juan Soto is going to be him going in a one-week-long slump and everybody calling for (laughs) Jeff Albert to be fired. (laughs) That's the best part of his trade. Come on! Questions and answers in 15 minutes. We'll get some NFL quick hitters next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alright, well you heard it from during that update it is official kyler murray signing a five-year 230 million dollar deal that includes 160 million dollars guaranteed it is the second highest average annual value by any quarterback in the nfl only to aaron Rodgers, who makes 50 million dollars oh, on a per year that basis. makes sense he's just as good if not better than aaron Rodgers. Alex, I remember having the conversation with you and Jamie Rivers when this was still uh, Ribs and BK before I got my name first. Yeah, it was a day that I'll never forget. And we were talking about the Patrick Mahomes extension. It's given him about four hundred or four hundred fifty million dollars over a ten-year uh, period. Overpaid, overrated. And and Jamie yeah. and you, you guys, you had the opinion. And by the way, it's, this is not just about a Patrick Mahomes point. I want to make that clear up front. You guys have the opinion that that contract is going to cripple what the Chiefs are able to do. And look what happened now. 
the reality is teams like the Chiefs and the Bills and the Packers and the Bucks, teams that have legit top five to seven quarterbacks, the elite of the elite, I think eventually Joe Burrow will fit into this category as well. Same thing with Justin Herbert with the Chargers. Those teams are actually going to have a bargain for their quarterbacks based on what these other teams are going to have to pay non-top five quarterbacks. When you have the Cardinals paying $46 million per year for Kyler Murray, suddenly paying $45 million for Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen looks like a steal. I'm with you on that because Kyler Murray must have the same agent as Kirk Cousins because talk about (laughs) overrated getting a big contract. (laughs) And I like Kyler Murray, but come on, man. You can't be paying him $46 million per year when he still had two years left on his deal. One of my favorites on Twitter is Tony X, and he just quote tweeted a tweet from Bob Nightingale from two years ago that said, do you think Kyler's regretting not signing in the MLB rather than going to the NFL? And he quote tweeted the tweet that says he just signed for $230 million. That's football, (laughs) man. That's football. You're going to get paid regardless. And especially at that quarterback position, as much as we were tongue in cheek about Patrick Mahomes, because Patrick Mahomes is going to be good no matter what, this will cripple the Arizona Cardinals. It, It will cripple them because they're going to not be able to afford certain players. And Kyler Murray is not good enough to lead a team unless he's got talent with him. Uh, I'm with you to that point. uh, Patrick Mahomes, the Tom Brady's of the world. Those guys that get those big time contracts, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. I agree with BK will be in that conversation. Those kind of guys can lift up like non-talented wide receivers around them and make them look good. Yeah. Uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah, he can't do that. And that's why I agree with you. This contract will cripple the Arizona Cardinals. I, I get it. They probably had to do it because it's hard to come around to a franchise quarterback, but he was not worth it. He was not worth this kind of money. And that's the thing. Like, you, I understand that you, you feel like you have to do it, but eventually there's going to be a team. I don't know who it's going to be, but there will be a team that says, you know what? We're not doing it. We're not giving you all of the money. Like, the. I don't know when this happens, but at some point, there's going to have to be a middle class that starts to establish itself in the NFL because these quarterbacks can't all get 45 plus million dollars. They're not worth it, man. Eventually, the dam's going to break. The bubble bursts and you say to yourself, if we've got a the 12th or 13th best quarterback in the league, we're going to pay him the 12th or 13th best salary in the league. And right now, it feels like those guys that are in that range they all end up getting the most money possible. I, do Do you guys think that Kyler Murray ends up seeing out this deal with no. the Arizona Cardinals? Although I don't know who's trading for him with that money tied to it. I, it, mean, I mean, it's, it's so will. far down the road. Like yeah. if, if Carson Wentz and Jared Goff can be traded, this can as well. Agreed. But, yeah, I... No, I don't. I, I think he gets moved, and I think he gets moved within the next three years. Do you do you think that Lamar Jackson now gets $50 million per year? Oh, yeah. I think Lamar Jackson gets Aaron Rodgers money, if not more Man. than Aaron Rodgers, because Baltimore can't survive without Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Everything has to change without Lamar Jackson. They can fire uh, what's-his-face, the head coach with Arizona. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Kingsbury? They, they can fire Kingsbury with Kyler Murray and make that excuse of, ah, well, we'll put a new head coach with him. You, you, you'd have to fire Harbaugh if you lose Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I, I think Lamar is going to get 
Boy, if I'm Lamar, this has got to be the happiest day. Oh, Up absolutely. until he signs his contract, it'll be the happiest day of his life because yeah. he apparently just reported for uh, training camp, like literally moments ago. Lamar just was did? reported on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> boy, boy, he's really going to be high skipping into training camp today. Yeah, he's going to. He, I bet Lamar will get right around that Aaron Rodgers money. If not, he'll surpass it. So this comes from Jason Lockenfora. He just tweeted this seconds ago. The Ravens and Lamar Jackson have reportedly been exchanging proposals for a while now. The Kyler Murray deal only furthers the position that his average annual value should be $50 million and his guarantees will be in excess of what Deshaun Watson got. <laughs> Show me the money. That's what Lamar Jackson is saying. Should've Show me the money. Should have been a quarterback. Say it, Jerry. Have you seen that movie? Oh. Tanner? Wait, what movie are we talking about? Say it, Jerry. Show me the money. I don't think so. Oh, my God. Go home oh and boy. do yourself Jerry a Maguire. favor. Go, go, watch watch it. go watch Jerry Maguire. It's well worth your time. Coming up in 15 minutes. All right, so we all want the Cardinals to trade for Juan Soto. Stop while other than the horse. fun killer, Tanner Hendrickson. But what about the pitching? What about the pitching, BK? They can't pitch. All right, we'll try to find yeah. you a pitcher. We'll do that coming <laughs> up at noon. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 314. Hey, guys, I know that some people will say when it comes to the Cardinals, thank God they're in the NL Central. Do you feel like it makes it difficult to judge how good the team really is based on the number of poor opponents that they play throughout the season? Yeah, I think so. I mean... It's hard not to when you're having the success against the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates and you're hitting that pitching or you're beating up on their bad offense. And then when you play the stretch like we just saw before the all-star break of Atlanta, Philly, Dodgers, and you're thinking, oh, well, that's the competition you're going up against. I mean, when you see them against Milwaukee, like that gives you a vibe of how they would be against that top competition. But I, I, I don't think it hurts them, but I think it's hard to judge a team when they're playing three really bad teams as often as they are. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with Alex. I, it makes it tougher to judge what you truly have. Like, I don't even put Milwaukee in like a great team category. Like, when I measure where the Cardinals are in terms of like their World Series, like how do they stack up in terms of like the World Series contention list? It's when they go up against the Dodgers, the Giants, the Padres, and then your teams that are good in the East and Atlanta and the Mets. To me, they haven't really learned anything from their team in the NL Central. Like, you're supposed to take care of business against the Pirates, the Reds, the Cubs. Milwaukee, they're just kind of right there with you. Like they're kind of in the mid tier of good teams. So it's hard to kind of judge them from that basis when they play Milwaukee. I think they're 500 against Milwaukee this year, too. So I think it makes things tougher for the Cardinals, but I don't think it's the end all be all. I think you can tell where they stack up, even though that they play in a weaker division. Yeah, I think it makes it tougher and it does get frustrating. I think the biggest thing for me is that it just feels like so many of the games don't matter. Like, you're, you're in mid-June, and I do wonder how this plays into the psyche of players, and they would never admit this publicly, but, like, man, when you're in a half-empty stadium in Pittsburgh, and it's mid-June, and it's 95 degrees outside, like, I can't imagine you have the same juice to get up for that game as you would in, like, 
for example, the Yankees come to town in early August. That's a weekend series, and there's going to be a buzz around St. Louis for that series. It's like that that is different. And if you're in the AL East, for example, you're playing the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays and the Blue Jays like that for like 85 games every year. You feel like you're playing playoff games and the Cardinals just don't have that. So I do think that makes it a little tougher to judge what it's like on a day to day basis. Six, five, seven, eight. is the air comfort service text line from the six, one, eight. Guys, if the Cardinals were to trade for Soto, or even if they were in strong contention for for him, how does that change your outlook on the ownership and the front office? I definitely won't be calling them cheap from now on, like most people would. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it... It definitely changes the opinion because you're not sitting there saying that Mo protects prospects and doesn't want to be aggressive and go after. He just wants to get into the playoffs. If you make that move, you're obviously making the statement that I want to win a World Series. That's why you're making a move like this. So it absolutely changes the narrative of John Mozeliak and the ownership and things like that because they're they're basically changing the mentality of what they've stated over the last 10 years. Yeah, I I think it definitely changes the perspective of the front office and ownership because of what Alex said where... It feels like at time, or not at times, they've even said this, that they just want to get in the playoffs and they don't care where they rank in terms of those teams to get in the playoffs. You could view them as the worst team in the playoffs. They don't care they're in the playoffs and that makes them feel like they have a shot. By getting Juan Soto, you're saying, hey, we're here to stay for the next two years and our hope is that we're going to go win a World Series. We're putting ourselves in that World Series contention conversation. So I think it changes the mindset on the front office. Now, maybe the only time that they ever do it during the uh, John Mozeliak and the DeWitt kind of era but it definitely changes the perspective of how they are viewed i think it completely alters everything that people say about the cardinals it would show they're going for world series in a way that i don't think cardinals fans have felt like they've really gone for it since like 2015 i think over the last like six years and you guys can correct me if you think i'm wrong on the read here but did you really think they went for it in 2015 like I felt that like was that was just year. a good team. I felt like the last time they actually went for it was I mean, 04 they, they when just they traded acquired significant Walker. pieces and they were talking about potentially re-signing long-term Jason Hayward. So I, I, I kind of like that was coming off of the John Lackey deal. Maybe, but uh, I, you had the wasn't the Hayward deal more of just to you had to do it because you had to replace the tragic loss of Tavares and Tavares was sure. supposed to be that answer. Like to me, that doesn't say, hey, we're going for a World Series. That was okay. We we have a big need and how are we going to do it? We can go get Hayward on a one-year deal, kind of rental type deal. To me, the last time they actually went all in was 04. And I don't even remember 04, but when they got Larry Walker to add to that. Sure, no, no, I, I think you're right in terms of like a move that indicated it. I just think that it, from 2000, like three, four, up until 2015, that was when the Cardinals every year felt like they were in championship contention. So maybe I stated it wrong, but the last time that I felt like going into a season that the Cardinals were championship contenders and not just trying to win for the regular season, get to their 90 wins, get to the playoffs and see what happens. The last time that I felt that way about the Cardinals was 2015. That's fair. So this would change that. If they get Juan Soto, I go into next year believing that the Cardinals are trying to win a championship. Like that is the clear stated goal. And that's what I think changes for me. Um, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Alex, I think you can answer this one pretty quickly. Uh, from the 618. Guys, why not wait to try to get Matthew Kachuk next year when he hits free agency? Because he's not hitting free agency. Anybody who trades for him and giving up the assets that Calgary wants is signing him to an eight-year contract extension. Plain and simple. 
Matthew Kachuk will not go to free agency by, with, with whoever team he goes to for the next eight years. So if you want to wait till he's 31, then yeah, you can go after him. But I don't know what that team's going to look like. You want Kachuk, you got to get him in this trade. Otherwise, he's going to be a whoever he trades to for the next eight years. Uh, from the 314, final question here. Would you guys include Tyler O'Neill for Juan Soto in that trade? I think if you, if the Cardinals were to trade for Juan Soto, you will have to include one of your current outfielders in that deal. I mean, cool. just Take honestly, Bader. it just makes sense. And I don't think Bader can be that guy oh. because of the foot issues right now. I think you're including Agreed. either Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill in any move that is for uh, Juan Soto. Yeah, and I... I truly believe even if it's not for Juan Soto, I think Tyler O'Neill is on the trade block in the offseason. Like, I I would include him in a deal for Soto because then you can just move Soto into left field. So there's that. Or you move Carlson to left and put Soto in right, however you deem it. But even if they don't get Juan Soto, I do believe Tyler O'Neill could be on the trade block this offseason because they could be looking for a more cost-control-friendly starting pitcher. And then you can move him, and then the hope would be that Jordan Walker can fill his void about the same time Nolan Gorman came up this year and so that makes me believe no whether it be the soto deal or in the offseason this year when they maybe look if they don't get soto and they're looking for another trade maybe for a starting pitcher the tyler o'neill's name is going to be the number one trade piece that's on the major league roster yeah that's where i'm at too you want to fix your pitching if you go get a Juan soto next season you trade tyler o'neill but you're going to include one of those guys and then the other one i think gets moved in the next season because if you don't have to trade jordan walker in this deal if you do accept the patrick corbin then Jordan Walker's your outfielder. Yeah, I, I would imagine. If I had to guess, I think that Dylan Carlson's going to have to be included in this deal. Agreed. Like even more so than Jordan Walker. I, I think Carlson's the first name that the Nationals are trying to include in this deal. He's a really good player. He's young. He's cost-controlled for many years to come. He's already proven it at the major league level. And whether they're including Patrick Corbin or not, I think he's the starting point for any deal for Juan Soto. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not, 65780 is your comfort service text line to be involved in that. But coming up next, all right, we get it. Juan Soto is really good. He helps your offense. But what about the pitching? We've talked about it all year long. Are there any pitchers out there on the market that you're willing to give up an arm and a leg for? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. think people are be are being a little short-sighted with the Juan Soto slash pitching conversation. If there were a Juan Soto equivalent that's a pitcher, it'd be a completely different conversation. Yeah. Not only is that pitcher not available, the market doesn't work that way. It is not. This would be going going to market and saying, we need bread and we need milk. The milk is fresh. The bread is 27 days old. It's not the same conversation. I'm getting the milk. What if I could get the milk and the bread? And I want French That's toast now. <laughs> That's the question we're asking here on BK and Ferrario. Oh alongside Alex Ferrario, Taylor Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Anthony Stalter yesterday making an interesting analogy on the fast lane, talking about how, yeah, you want pitching, but the pitching doesn't really exist out there. So go get Juan Soto instead. Here's what Jim Bowden wrote over on The Athletic. He said, there's a problem with the Cardinals. They need to acquire a starting pitcher or two. And that's probably the direction they end up going at the deadline. But 
You can't ignore them in the Juan Soto conversation based on their trade pieces that they have and their history of making big deals for star players, end quote. Again, that comes from Jim Bowden. So he seems to still believe, yeah, the Cardinals, I understand that they are involved in this Juan Soto conversation, but also, yeah, they still need that pitching. MLB Trade Rumors put out their list of the top trade targets for the deadline yesterday. We are now, what is it, like 10 days away from the trade deadline officially? About two weeks now. Two weeks from now, we're going to be at the trade deadline. Less than that. So here were some of the names that they had that were starting pitchers. Not all of these guys, of course, will be traded. But these are guys that they're at least speculating could become available. Be curious if any of these players are somebody that you'd be willing to, now that we're talking about Juan Soto and giving up big-time prospect hauls, would you be willing to give up a big prospect haul for any of these guys? Luis Castillo, Frankie Montes, I apologize for my dog barking in the back. She agrees with it. She's thinking, give it up for everything. Yeah, she, she said Luis Castillo is her, her choice. <laughs> Frankie Montes, Tyler Malley, Noah Syndergaard, Blake Snell, Mike Clevenger, Pablo Lopez, or Carlos Rodon. And, and Do any of those names immediately pop out at you, Alex, as being the guy that you'd potentially be willing to go at? And, and just to clarify, the same package you're giving up for Juan Soto for these no, guys? No, you, I mean, just a Juan Soto is a different kind of package. Are, are we talking... <laughs> Are we talking you're still giving up a Jordan Walker in any of these trades? Probably not. It just depends, right? Like, yeah. it depends on who you're getting. Like, if if you're trying to get a Pablo Lopez from the Marlins, you're going to have to give up a lot to get him. If you're trying to get a Luis Castillo, you're going to have to give up a lot to get him. Are any of those including Jordan Walker? I would argue probably not. Well, but- looking at that list and you going off of those names, there's only... I would argue three on here that I would listen to what they want because they're top end of the rotation guys. It's Luis Castillo, Blake Snell, and Carlos Rodon. Those are the only three that I'm listening to because I think Pablo Lopez is at best the number two in your rotation, but I think more realistically he's probably a, a, a three. No. Uh, no? Definitely a one or two. I don't. I don't think he's a number one in your rotation. Pablo I don't. Lopez. I think he's the best guy that comes in here to pitch in St. No, Louis. I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, he's got a two point eight ERA this year in hundred innings, and last year in twenty starts he had a three point ERA. That's fine. I just. I don't think he can stay healthy, and I'm just not sure if he's if okay. he's going to warrant that return. Uh, Clevenger, no. Noah Syndergaard. As much as I love Noah Syndergaard, you're probably Definitely not getting not. anywhere near Noah Syndergaard. And then the rest of these, like Tyler, Tyler Molly's nice, Frankie Montas is nice, but those are a two-three in your rotation. So Tanner, where are you at on this? He gave th- three names: yeah, Castillo, those are the three. Snell, Rodon. The two that I would consider is Luis Castillo. Now, the only thing that I would have hesitation in terms of making a deal for Castillo is because he is in the division. But I would be open to the idea of setting a big package there just because I think he is a guy that's a difference maker and Pablo Lopez is number one on the list for me because Pablo Lopez to me becomes the best pitcher here in St. Louis if you go get him I think he's ahead of Wainwright I think he's ahead of Miles Michaelis I get the health concerns with him because yes that is a big thing with him but you're essentially getting the same control in Pablo Lopez that you would with Juan Soto at the minimum because he's got the rest of this year and then he's got two arbitration years left and I think you can get him, and it would cost probably, I mean, they're going to be asking for a lot in Miami because I don't think they truly want to deal him. And that's why I, it's probably more of a pipe dream right now. But if, if they were to take offers, I would be willing to put someone like a Mason Wynn into the conversation to put him up there. That would be the highest-ended prospect that I'd be willing to deal in a deal to go get Pablo Lopez. I think he is a difference maker, and I think he puts the Cardinals rotation over the top, especially if you're going to head into a playoff series. And if you want to play just a little bit of 
I don't know what you'd call it, but if if you get Jack Flaherty back healthy, not for this season, but next year, and you bring back Adam Wainwright, talk about a hell of a rotation with Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, Pablo Lopez, and a potentially healthy Jack Flaherty, and then you've got Steven Matz on the back end as the five. I, I, Pablo Lopez is the number one guy for me. I'd rather have Juan Soto than all of those names. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course. Like, But that's what, why we're Juan's, talking about it, though, right? It's Juan Soto or pitching. That's what people are clamoring for. Yes, but let, let's assume that the Cardinals are just not in. Like, for this discussion, let's assume they're not in the Juan Soto sweepstakes. Oh. It, it gets too rich for their blood. They're so, not going to re-sign him. All of those different factors go into it. They're out on Juan Soto. They have pivoted. They are now looking at the pitching market. But they're not opposed to trading significant prospect hall to be able to get one of those guys. Now that they've at least considered the Soto conversation, now they're like, you know what? Maybe we're not as completely attached to these prospects as we expected to be. We're willing to deal them for the right guy. I agree with you guys on Castillo and Lopez for sure. Rodon's interesting to me, Alex, because I think he's really damn good. Like, that guy is unbelievably talented. I've got questions about the injuries, but it's a one-year deal. And that's why, for me, he would go behind Castillo and Lopez on my list because they both have a little more control than Rodon does he he has an opt-out after the season and I think he'll probably take it because of how well he's pitched I agree with Alex on Blake Snell Tanner why are you out on Blake Snell other than the ERA I just haven't seen Blake Snell be the same guy in San Diego that he was in Tampa Bay like in Tampa Bay I thought he was a legitimate top-end guy and I thought he was gonna be a difference maker for San Diego when he got traded there and I just haven't seen the same guy, in my opinion, when he's gone to San Diego. And if anything, I thought he would have been better in San Diego because it's such a pitcher-friendly ballpark. And I just haven't seen the same thing. I I view Snell, look, if you got him, he probably slots it. He definitely slots in a three for you in your rotation. I just don't view him as a difference maker that the Cardinals are looking for as that top-end starter, in my opinion. So the reason why we're even bringing him up, because I'm sure there are some texters that are like, wait, why would the Padres trade Blake Snell? That that doesn't make any sense. They're a legitimate contender right now, and he's a, a solid pitcher for them, even though the ERA looks bloated. Well, last year, you guys remember, they had a ton of pitching injuries towards the end of the season, and they didn't have enough guys to really even make up their rotation. Opposite. Right now, they almost have too many guys in their rotation to where they have like top-end prospects probably should be in the majors that are not in the majors right now because of all of the veterans that are currently making up their rotation. So this would be similar to the Corey Kluber deal that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where you're going to a team that is clearly a contender and they're dealing from their depth to be able to get something that helps them. So you might be trading like a Tyler O'Neill, for example, in this kind of a trade where you're trading O'Neill for Blake Snell, and you're hoping that it helps both teams by going in different directions. One team needs pitching, the other needs offense. I actually think I might be interested in Blake Snell. The big question is, is his fastball broken? Because right now, opposing hitters are batting 320 against his fastball with a 540 slug. Everything else is playing the exact same way that it did whenever he was in Tampa. His sliders, curve, changeup, all very good pitchers for him right now. And if you look at some of the expected numbers, they indicate that Blake Snell's been pretty unlucky so far this year with his fastball. He's still striking out a ton of batters. He's like top 10 percentile in, in strikeout rate. He gets a ton of whiffs. Spin rate's really high on the fastball. Everything looks like it should be working. And for some reason, he's not getting guys out with a fastball. If the Cardinals think they can fix that for him, and they've done this in the past with other guys, I think he is exactly the type of pitcher that I would be interested in them going out to acquire. I have no idea, though, what it would take. 
Yeah, that's what that's really my big question is because he's got another year of control. I, I feel like Blake Snell's probably an offseason move more than anything. Like, I don't know if it would be an in-season move because San Diego probably views it as, yeah, we got a lot of pitching and not a lot of spots, but we can use that for a playoff push and then off-season figure it out from there. But I, I mean, I, the, the problem is like all of these guys that we're mentioning that are at the top of this list with the exception of Luis Castillo all have injury risks. Pablo Lopez, Carlos Rodon. to pitching, man. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And that's why it's just so hard for me to sit here and say as much as I want to get elite starting pitching to help me go get a World Series run, one, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if the juice is going to be worth the squeeze for a pitcher like that. And two, how do I know he's going to be available for me when it comes to the World Series? Whereas if you're going elsewhere, you know that that's going to be there for you. So if I could get Radon for the final stretch of the season, if I could get Noah Syndergaard or Blake Snell, yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger on that With as long as I'm not giving up Jordan Walker in this conversation. But beyond that, I just don't know how much these guys are actually going to improve your roster. And I think the deal for Lopez is the only deal that I'd be willing to include, like a Mason Wynn, that that guy that we've talked about. What about I, Castillo? I, w- I don't think I would part with Wynn for Castillo because Castillo only has one more year, right, after this year, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So he has less club control, and honestly, I really don't want to see Mason Wynn possibly end up being the shortstop of the future for the Cincinnati Reds. That's why, I, I, and I know if I'm not including Wynn in this package, I'm probably not getting him unless I can build something else around it. So to me, the deal to Cincinnati for... Um, Luis Castile would not, I would not include Walker or Wynn. Otherwise, everybody else I would at least listen to. But in terms of trading to Miami and trying to get Pablo Lopez, I would be willing to part with Mason Wynn. And I will say this because I, I agree, the injury concern is definitely real for legitimately every pitcher, and especially for Pablo Lopez, who's dealt with him in the past. And there's no like numbers really supporting this. But the fact of the matter that he's already made 18 starts, which is just two behind what he totaled last year, which was an injury prone year, makes me think that he has the ability to stay healthy at least just for this season. And that's mostly what I'm concerned about in this trade with Lopez is I'm getting him this year to put me over the top, and then I, I'll figure out what I having him in the next two years with him under club control so here's my question to you guys like okay tanner your guy is is pablo lopez alex you you like rodan and and castillo let's say castillo's not available because he's in the division let's say the marlins decide they're not trading pablo lopez because they think they're currently building something and i I think they might be right They're, they're not too far away from at least trying to contend rodan ends up not being available because the giants are in in contention after the deadline and or going up to the deadline and the Padres decide, you know what? Last year we saw what happened, whatever. We got a little light in our rotation. We're going to keep all of our depth. So those guys that we just talked about, they're all off the, off the table. Do you want the Cardinals to trade for one of these other guys? Or if, and this is a big, if Steven Matz tell shows you after the all-star break that he's a serviceable number three or number four starter, he's consistently giving you five to six strong innings, of three earned runs or fewer what you signed him to be basically are you okay with a rotation of michaelis wayno Matts, hudson and palante are you okay with that yeah because i'll maybe get to a wild card and that's it uh, so no <laughs> i mean like if you want to be okay with just making the playoffs like then yeah that's fine but you're not going beyond that I think I would still like to see them make the move because I want to put Hudson or Palante back in the bullpen. And honestly, I'm not going to, and I hear what you're saying, BK, in this scenario, it's, well, I know what Matt's is going to be when he comes back. You're going to get what? Two starts from Matt's before the trade deadline at best? Two or three. 
I, I don't think you're going to know what Steven Matz is by the time you hit the trade deadline. So I would go look at one of those rentals then if uh, one of those guys is off the board. I would go like look the at Quintana. the Quintana or the Syndergaard. Tyler Molly or the Syndergaard. I think Syndergaard would probably be a little bit too much just because of the money. But, I mean, you may be able to make that work. Or even the Martin Perez if they're going to look to deal him. I mean, I brought up that quote from Molly saying how they like left-handed pitchers here at Bush. Maybe he's that guy. I would still go get that rental guy just because – I just don't, one, I don't think you're going to know what Steven Matz is before the trade deadline. And two, honestly, my goal is essentially to put Palante either back in the bullpen or move Hudson to the bullpen and just add a little bit where I feel better with the depth of your starting five as a whole. I think I'm with you guys, but man, if they get Juan Soto, I'm good with that rotation. Amen. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, how do the Blues fill the rest of their holes if they dump the salary that's necessary to be able to add Matthew Kachuk? Alex has done some cap math. Oh, oh boy. Ho, ho. We'll look into it coming up here in about 15 minutes. Believe it or not, my favorite time of the week is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't I think I might surprise all three of you. I think I might jump in. Do it. Kachuk could be a blow. Kachuk and Soto. This is this version. You ready, BK? I'm going to need you because I'm behind. I got you. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Oh, that was great. Oh, man. Now I want Soto and Kachuk at the same time, both on August 11th. Oh, wait, you can't. So it's got to be the second for one Soto. 65780 is the Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Let's start with that. Believe it or not, the Cardinals trade for Juan Soto and the Blues trade for Matthew Kachuk before the end of August. You want me to? Yeah, go, yeah you should yeah. break it to him. I, I'm not going to believe that. Uh, I, I don't think the Cardinals are trading for Juan Soto. Uh, I, I do believe the Blues were, are going to go get Matthew Kachuk. But Come on! Mo would Whoa. knock my socks off legitimately Whoa. by trading for Juan Soto. So, uh, no, I'm not going to believe this. I, I'm not going to believe this, buddy, but I'll tell you what. I'll give you a little 50% not going to believe this, 50% believe it. I'll sit on the fence like we do here on BK and Ferrario. I think they'll call about Juan Soto. I think John Mozeliak on August 2nd will say, well, we uh, you know, we made contact with the Washington Nationals, but they didn't want to accept our offer. But I'm not going to believe this. Matthew Kachuk will be a blue. Juan Soto, unfortunately, will be a New York Met. Guys. Whoa, what? A, what was that? Can we have a uh, trust tree moment here? Yeah, yeah. I like just trees. us, right? The yeah. three of us yeah. were on Zoom hey, together. We're T-bone. all talking. Turn the mics off. All right, mics are off. All right, you're good, buddy. I'm not believing it. What? Dude, you've been selling this for the last week. I think that Matthew Kachuk is going to be a blue. Oh, I was going to say, if you say he's not going to be a blue, I might have to come out there and teach you a lesson. I don't think you want to be around me with COVID. Yeah, you're right. I don't. I don't. I don't think that the Cardinals are trading for Juan Soto. That is the hottest take you've ever had on this show. The hottest take. Hotter than you saying that Patrick Mahomes is not a great quarterback. That's fair. 65780 is the air cover service excellent for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals rotation by the end of the year will be considered a strength going into the playoffs. This is interesting. Uh, 
Um, I'm Alex, gonna, you need me to repeat that? I no, think you were texting. No, I'm not going to believe this one. I, I don't think that's going to be considered a strength. Come, I don't. I'm with Alex. I'm not going to believe this, and the reason is because I... Unless they get Otani. I don't think, well, that ain't happening. If Why? they ain't getting Soto, they ain't getting Otani. Why? He's available. I, I don't think... I don't think the Cardinals are going to end up with that top-end starter. And that's not so much because maybe they're not trying to. I think it's going to be kind of the situation we're talking about. One, I don't think they're going to trade in the division, so that can rule out Castillo. I'm not sure that they really want Frankie Montas. And then the other one is Pablo Lopez, and I'm not sure Miami's going to deal him. So with all those scenarios, I think they'll have to settle for a rental pitcher. And if they do that, I I think it helps boost the rotation, but it won't be viewed as a position of strength. So I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe that the rotation is considered to be a strength. I absolutely, though, think that the Cardinals pitching staff could be viewed as a strength when they go into the playoffs. And the reason why is just because, like, we've seen this now. How many times do we have to see it before we we all under well agree the bullpen is as important going into the playoffs as your rotation is? Like, having a huge glaring weakness in your rotation is obviously a problem. A glaring weakness anywhere will be exploited in the playoffs. But the Cardinals' bullpen with the number of multi-inning relievers that they have available to them with Zach Thompson and Jordan Hicks, potentially Andre Pallante kicking back into the bullpen, Helsley, Gallegos, Cabrera, all potentially available for multiple innings. Maybe Graceffo is up at that point in time giving you multiple innings out of the pin. That's seven different guys that I just named potentially giving you not only quality, but also length out of the bullpen. So while I do believe that the rotation could still be viewed as a liability for the Cardinals, I think it's in play that their pitching staff is considered to be a strength. So I'm kind of riding the fence here, but I'm not believing that their their rotation will be considered to be a strength. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, by the end of the year, Nolan Gorman will be batting in your top three. That was a good one. Oh, you were serious. Oh, uh, not believe this one. I mean, he's already been batting up there, so. Nolan Gorman has, but how good has it been? Not very good. No, he's... he's. What, what is happening what to is, Alex right now? What is happening? Tanner? I'm... I'll, this is where you answer. I know, but it, it's tough because I'm not convinced that he's going to be in the top three regularly. Um, he's not. Well, I'm, so I'm not. I'm not going to believe this. I think regularly you're going to see Donovan or Edmund at one. I think two is probably going to be Carlson. Then they go Goldie, Arnato, that three, four. So I'm not going to believe this. I don't think Gorman's going to spend a lot of time up in that even, top three uh, the rest of the year. Even before you get to Gorman, I think Tyler O'Neill's going to get a shot at the top three before Nolan Gorman gets it. Nolan Gorman's going to be after the Arenados and whoever's batting fifth. So I just don't see it. I think I think I'm going to believe it because he's a lefty. I think they like having that lefty there between Goldie and Arenado. It it gives you a little more flexibility. So I think your your typical lineup until they trade for Juan Soto is Edmund, Goldie, Gorman, Arenado. Or Edmund, Gorman, Goldie, Arenado. One of those two. I think that's probably how they end up finishing the year. Um, is with Gorman in the top three. So I'll, I'll go ahead and believe this. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Here's one from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals are actually more likely to trade for a catcher 
than they are for either Juan Soto or a legit top-end starter. Not believe it. I think their catcher is the offseason. I think their catcher is signing a free agent, maybe Contreras. I know the guys on the fast lane brought that up, um, but I just don't see them making a trade for a catcher. There's just way more needs for this team than to sit here and worry about getting somebody who can offset some time for Yachty or Molina. Yeah, I'm with Alex. I'm not going to believe this. I think the catcher situation is probably an off-season solve. I think you focus on starting pitching at the deadline or Juan Soto, depending on what they're going to do. But I, I don't. And plus, I don't think there's really a catcher out there besides Wilson Contreras that would be the top guy you'd go get at the trade deadline. So I, I can't see them pulling a deal at the deadline to go get a catcher. There's like nobody out there, and Contreras is in the division. He'd be more of an off-season signing. So I, I'm not going to believe this. Sweep it. We're all in the same spot here. I do not believe that they're going to be catch, uh, trading for a catcher. I think it was Ben Fred who mentioned this in his uh, chat the other day over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He said if, if he was to put his tinfoil hat on, and Alex, Whoa. I know this is your role, but he Ben stole Fred that. stole it for a moment. Yep. He thinks that it's possible the Cardinals said that as kind of a nudge in the direction of Yadier Molina to try to get back sooner rather than later. Which I thought that to be was a, a really interesting way to read that. I think that's definitely in play. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. We'll talk to Pat Steinberg of the Calgary Flames Radio Network coming up at 1 o'clock. Want to get his thoughts on the latest with the Matthew Kachuk deal. But coming up next, Alex is going to tell you how they make this work with the cap here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I just don't see a scenario where you're moving both Tarasenko and a Jordan Cairo out and bringing Kachuk in unless there's another move to be made. Uh, but I just think that the Blues, if they attempt to do this, they're probably looking bigger picture, long term, how this helps the franchise as opposed to any other situation. And again, I can't stress enough that if Tarasenko and Kyrie are headed out the door, you know, the Blues probably have a different option uh, to help fill that void up there in the top six. That was Jeremy Rutherford yesterday on the fast lane when asked, how do the Blues get better if they're trading Vladimir Tarasenko and Jordan Kyrou to make room for the cap hit that you're going to bring in from Matthew Kachuk. And oh, by the way, they've already lost out on David Perron and on Ville Husso since the end of last season. Is this team really going to be better when you eliminate all of those guys and then all you're adding is Matthew Kachuk to the mix? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, how do they make this work? Math-wise, like we can get to the conversation about why this team's better here in a moment. But when it comes to making it work money-wise to get Matthew Kachuk in here, we know that you've got to trade one of, at least, Vladimir Tarasenko or Tori Krug. But how do you think they make it work? So so that's that's how this works, is you're going to have to trade one of Vladdy or Krug and Jordan Kyrou. But in the scenario that I'm about to paint to you, they're trading away Vladdy and Krug and Kairu. Now, I know everyone's reaction. What the hell are you doing? That team's terrible. I don't think it's as bad as people will make it out to be. So let me let me paint the scenario for you of what the trades look like, and then I'll give you kind of the cap and what the team looks like. So in this scenario, 
you're you're trading with Calgary and you're trading away Jordan Cairo, Zachary Bolduc, and a first round draft pick. I think that gets it done. I think that would be enough for Calgary to say, okay, we can compete now, and we feel like we've got a guy who could be on our NHL roster next season. So now you got Matthew Kachuk. In this circumstance, I'm predicting somewhere between nine and a half, ten million dollars for Matthew. Whatever you want to go off of. The other trade you're doing is you're calling up the New York Islanders. And I know Jamie has talked about this on the fast lane, but the Islanders have money to do this. They've got $11 million in cap space right now. They can take on the seven and a half for Vladdy and the six and a half for Jordan or for Tory Krug. You got to get both of them to accept a trade. I think Vladdy accepts a, tra- accepts a trade there. I don't know if Tory Krug would, but he's back on the East Coast. And in this scenario, you're on a playoff contending team. I mean, heck, it was a team that was at the conference final two years ago. Coming in the return of the trade with the New York Islanders, you're getting Anthony Beauvier, who's making 4.175 mil this year and next year. He's a young forward, uh, didn't have the best year last season, but he is a guy who you hope you can get the best out of. But the most you're hoping for is you're putting him on your third line. And I texted with our good buddy, Grant Francis, who uh, is an Islanders guy. He's worked for him. And I asked him, I said, does Lou accept that trade? He said, yeah, that's probably a steal for the Islanders, but it's kept. Regardless, you're trying to move money and you're getting something in return. So that's the that's the moves. Now, this is what your team looks like. Right now, I've got a total of $79.5 million tied up in this roster. Buchnevich, Thomas, Kachuk, Sado, Riley, Barbashev, Neighbor, Shen, Bovier, Levo, Achari, Torpchenko. I'm considering them carrying two forwards, Walker and Frick or Kostin, however you want to look at it, minor league deals. Uh, and then on defense, it's Letty Pareko, Perunovic, Falk, Scandella, Bortuzzo. You're carrying Nico Miklin. You got your two goaltenders. 23-man roster, $79.5 million. You've got Kachuk. You didn't trade away Perunovic or neighbors. And in my opinion, your team is just as competitive, if not more competitive than what it was last year. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure that the Krug and Tarasenko thing is something that would make sense for Army. Like, I don't know if he would say, I'm trading Tarasenko and Krug, and I'm getting back in return a third line forward. Like, that feels like something the Vegas Golden Knights would do in terms of their asset management. I'm not saying you're wrong in in what they would go about doing there, but I think what he would do instead is just say, I'm trading Vladimir Tarasenko there. And I understand cap-wise, this makes it more difficult to be able to replace him. But I, I think you trade Tarasenko to the Islanders for the cap flexibility. And then what you end up doing is you try to find somebody that can help you out on that third line. And that's where it gets tough, man. I don't know how you make it work. I think you're probably in, eventually going to have to find somebody to take on Nico Mikla. Like that $2 million for Mikola, that might be what you have to use as the way to get you somebody that can be in that $2.5 million range that scores you 10 to 15 goals on the third line. Because once you, if you remove Mikola and Tarasenko and Kairou, you can add Kachuk and a $2.5 million forward. I think that's the way that I would go about it. Maybe Evan Rodriguez. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely the way to go about it. And you can do that, but just as much as you think that Doug doesn't view a Tarasenko-Krug 
for the Bovier trade. And look, I, I've already heard people laugh at the fact that I just traded those two guys for Bovier. I'm not sitting here saying that that's a fair trade in terms of the blues. I'm sitting here saying you're getting something in return for those guys. And I think Doug would be more likely to do that trade because you're getting something that you could get the best out of. I mean, Bovier scored what? 25 goals two years ago with the Islanders. You're getting something in return for that rather than just trading away Vladdy for cap purposes. Maybe you get a second round draft pick for it. I think Doug would rather get something in return that can be a part of this NHL roster for two guys. The way I look at Tory Krug is you're filling Tory Krug with Scott Pernovich. And I know he's not a proven commodity, but he's a cheaper commodity that you hope can be Tory Krug. The other thing about the Tory Krug thing is like the reason why they would maybe even, you know what? Maybe this is what happens, Alex. Maybe Doug Armstrong says, Vladdy, you're coming back. You're going to be back here next year. And we're trading Tory Krug to the Islanders because we have an internal replacement. Like, instead of what I said, and then you have to go find your forward, maybe the maybe the move that they make is they trade Krug there, they put Perunovic into his spot, they get like a third-round pick in 2024 in return. It's a pure, pure uh, salary dump for the Blues. And in return, the Islanders are like, hey, we got to – a point man for our power play. Mm-hmm. Tory Krug's a really useful player, but it opens up not just cap space for this year, but also into future years. The Blues are betting on Scott Perunovich to be that guy on your second pairing defensively, and they still have now Vladimir Tarasenko as your second line right w- winger. I think money wise, that would work if I'm not mistaken. So you're removing Kairu and Tory Krug, and then you're putting Matthew Kachuk in. And let's say this year is at the $9 million range. I think that works money-wise, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because you're eliminating nine, $9, $10 million. So, yeah, that would make it work for this purpose. And I think that's the the, way, the reason I'm putting it this way, and it doesn't have to be Bovier. I just think the Islanders are one of the few teams that can take on both of those contracts. The reason I'm putting it this way is because it's possible to – the people that sit here and say, well, you can't make the salary cap work. You can it's really simple, and it doesn't put you in a bad position moving forward. You can make all of this work. It's just a matter of what you're willing to give up for for Matthew Kachuk. And I think if you're talking of Jordan Cairo and a Jake Neighbors slash Zachary Bolduc that in, in the first-round pick, because from what I'm understanding, they also won a first-round pick in this upcoming season— it's enough to get the deal done. And we, I'm going to do a Ferrari 05 later and just kind of lay out the other team's offers because I think St. Louis is probably tied for first when it comes to best available offers. But the reason I did all of this was to show you can make the salary work and your team is still competitive. I personally believe, as much as people don't like to hear it, that if you lose Perron, Cairo, and Kachuk, or maybe, or, or, and Tarasenko, or you keep Tarasenko, oh, that team's worse off because you're losing all that production. I personally think that that team's the same, if not better offensively, because you're getting a Matthew Kachuk who plays differently than every one of those players that you moved on from. So there was an interesting quote that I thought of when we were talking about this, because there's a text that that brings up something from the 636. Guys, this is how you become the 2020 Blues. Way too top-heavy when it comes to your ability. Now you've lost all of the depth that we've been talking about in recent years. Wasn't, There's some truth to that in terms that of being a, a top-heavy team. Here's what Doug Armstrong had to say in 2021 after the Blues were eliminated in the playoffs. 
The way that we have to be good is, uh, as I said, team and pack mentality, and, and uh, we'll have to assess how we can get better under that format. We we don't have an answer internally for McKinnon or, or McDavid or Crosby or Ovechkin. These guys are our number one overall picks or top picks, and the way that we have to build our team and the way we have to continue to do it is by, by believing each other, supporting each other, and understanding that uh, individually we're, we can't get it done. We have to do it as a group. He mentioned there in the middle of that quote, we don't have answers internally for guys like Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid. And that was true. They didn't. Matthew Kachuk is an answer for those guys. Absolutely. He's on the level with those players. Those are his peers. Those are the guys that he judges himself against. He's in their class of player. He's an all-star. He's a perennial guy that's going to be in the MVP conversation. Your build changes completely. When you have that guy on your roster, you are now building with a top-heavy roster in mind. It's not about balance. Balance be damned. We've got one of the best players in the NHL. Yes, our top six is what we are going to live or die on. And that's okay. If you can't beat them, you got to join them. And this is the way that the other half of the NHL is building right now. And if the Blues were to acquire Matthew Kachuk, does it change fundamentally their team-building philosophies? Yes. Can that be a good thing? Also, yes. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is you're you're never going to have an answer for Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon. I mean, those guys are just, they're the elite of the elite. And I know a lot of people hear that and say, well, Matthew Kachuk wouldn't be a comp to, to Connor McDavid because he's fast and Matthew Kachuk isn't as fast. That's not what we're talking about here. You're talking about a guy who's a 100-plus plus point player for another guy who is a 100-plus point player. But the way I view it is, you can kind of cancel out the Nathan McKinnons and, and Connor McDavid's because of Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly, we just saw, shut down Nathan McKinnon in the playoffs. What you didn't have was the answers for the Gabriel Landeskogs and the Nazem Kadris who bullied the front of your net. And I'm not talking defensively. I'm talking about the guys who are willing to step in when you need somebody to or do the exact same team to the other side. Tell me, BK, who, who looked like Gabriel Landeskog in the series against the Colorado Avalanche this year? Who went to the front of the net, made defense work, made him pay the price? The answer is nobody. Uh, maybe David Perron, but Perron is the sniper. Matthew Kachuk. I mean, the, the answer typically is Braden Shin, but but Braden Shin also had here. three cracked ribs. Yeah, yeah. You you need you need that guy. So the way I view it is, if you get a Matthew Kachuk, yeah, you know what? He's not Connor McDavid because he's not fast. But Ryan O'Reilly finds a way to eliminate those types of players. You don't have a Matthew Kachuk on your roster. You haven't had a Matthew Kachuk on your roster. And when you put him on your roster, you're on the same level as those teams. Coming up next, normally we'd jump into the junk drawer, but Bob Nightingale just reported that there are seven teams that have already called the Nationals about Juan Soto. Oh, God. (laughs) They called about Josh Bell, man. We'll tell you who they are next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Coming up in five minutes, we're talking to Pat Steinberg of the Calgary Flames Radio Network. He's got the latest on the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes. We'll talk to him coming up in 
about five minutes. But Alex, Bob Nightingale has just tweeted. He says, the Washington Nationals have begun fielding preliminary offers for Juan Soto. There are seven teams that have already weighed in. Tanner, Alex, have you guys seen this list yet? Uh, I did see this list. I saw the list as well. Okay. Okay, so there goes this segment. All right, coming up in 10 minutes. Here are the teams that have checked in on Juan Soto. The Mariners. Who are they trading? I mean, they'd have to trade oh, they got a bunch Rodriguez. Of top they got a ton Do of they? talent. Yeah. yeah. But I thought Washington wants MLB ready players. A lot of them are on the cusp. Oh, the Mariners say, uh, or the, the Nationals call and say, uh, Julio Rodriguez, click. Yeah. The Padres. Okay. Makes sense. The Giants. Okay. I don't think so. The Dodgers. Okay. The Yankees. Okay. The Mets. Um, all right. There's the list. It's what we expected. And the Cardinals. Julio! Now, do we think they were actually calling? Uh, Yeah, I think Mo Butt dialed. You're right. (laughs) Do you think they were actually calling about Soto? Or do you think that the Cardinals were calling the Nationals about Patrick Corbin? I think they were calling about Patrick Corbin. Be like, hey... Not to add to Juan Soto. Oh, no, just to but get to have him. a conversation yeah. about what, what it would take to get Patrick Corbin. Let me walk you through what this conversation went like. Uh, yeah, Mr. Rizzo's is Mo. Oh, hold on, hold on. I need I need my Mo voice. Um, No, I'm Mo. You can be yeah, Rizzo. No. That's what I'm saying. I got to get you in your Mo voice. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, hey, Riz, this is John over at St. <laughs> Louis. Uh, no Juan Soto's available. What do you want? Jordan Walker? All right, thanks. <laughs> Wait, does that mean we got him? Nope. Hey, hey. We, that was we, quick. <laughs> we called Washington about him. It was just too rich for our blood. By the way, I love you, John Mozeliak. This isn't me making fun of you. I love the voice. No, he, he's, he's excellent. Um, and the bow tie. Does this get you excited? In all seriousness, does it get you excited that Bob Nightingale just said there are seven teams in Major League Baseball that have called the Nationals and the Cardinals are one of them, along with like literally the other six teams that I would have assumed called on every big name that come available? Why wouldn't it get you excited? I mean, look, the Cardinals are putting themselves in the race, regardless if people believe that, oh, well, they're just calling and then they're going to hang up like I just kind of mocked. You got to get excited because at least they're checking in on it. And frankly, every team in Major League Baseball should be checking in on it, but If they've called, that tells you that they've at least considered it, which in my opinion is a good thing. So, yeah, it should get you excited. See, it doesn't get me excited. I feel like like they suck. Well, no, I feel like they do this all the time. Like, remember, we saw the reports oh, the Cardinals have talked with Trevor Story. Yeah, I don't, maybe they did, but I don't think they're ever serious conversations. No one Arenado talked with. Do I doubt that the Cardinals called the Nationals? No. I mean, we heard John Morosi talking about it earlier in the, uh, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago, while BK was on vacation, where they were talking about, you know, they had called them about offense. I didn't think that was Soto at the time. It maybe wasn't. It could have been someone like a Josh Bell or someone like that but I mean I feel like they're on every list like they're so there's a big time player in free agency there's a big time player on the trademark who's always on that list that everybody connects to it's the Cardinals they're they're the team that always gets thrown out there so seeing them on this list doesn't shock me and it doesn't really get me that excited it just says oh yeah okay I kind of expected they were there you are a miserable human being Tanner always ask yourself something because I actually think Tanner's right here whoa always ask yourself something when you see a report who does this benefit who does this report benefit? 
This one specifically from Bob Nightingale exclusively benefits the Nationals. Are you saying Bob is in the back pocket of uh, no, Rizzo no. from the Washington I, Nationals? I trust his reporting. <laughs> I, and by the way, I, I believe that the Cardinals checked in. And John Mozeliak wouldn't be doing his job if he didn't. Like, that would be general manager malpractice to not at least call and find out what they're looking for when one of the best players of this generation becomes available via trade for reasons that are honestly kind of beyond belief. But when the Cardinals are included in all of these different lists, it's because the Cardinals are never going to say that they're not interested in somebody like they don't come out and publicly deny any reporting and they have really good prospects right now. So if they're involved in trade discussions, it helps the teams that they're talking to. From the 636, I definitely think they called, but then asked for Soto and $200 million in cash and then had to hang up. <laughs> hey, man, you might as well ask. So we the Rocky said, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, $50 million? <laughs> Sure. And then that guy Coming was fired. Up in 15 minutes, we'll give some bold second half predictions for the Cardinals. I don't think any of them are going to be as bold as what Greg Gamzinger said earlier today. Coming up next, though, Pat Steinberg of the Calgary Flames Radio Network. He joins us here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity. I would have celebrity line rather. I would have to imagine Pat Steinberg has been a very busy man over the last few weeks and really over the last few months, hosting over on Sportsnet 960, where he hosts Calgary Flames Radio. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Fan960 Steinberg. Pat, we appreciate the time, and I wish it was under better circumstances for Calgary. How are you doing today? I'm good, boys. It's been a uh, it's been quite the uh, it's been quite the last week or so when it comes to covering this hockey team out here. We're uh, we're not used to this type of national and league wide attention, so it's uh, it's been it's it's been a ride. I'm I'm really curious where this Matthew Kachuk story goes. We already know how the Johnny Gaudreau story played out. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating next little bit here. And uh, we just found out kind of the deadline for a Matthew Kachuk trade, and that's going to be on August 11th. So it's, uh, what are we, July 21st today? So we've got about, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks, uh, almost three weeks until we get to that point. It's going to be really interesting to see how things play out over those next uh, few weeks to, to get to the next conclusion here. Yeah, the, it's exactly three weeks from today is when his arbitration case will be held. And that's when that deadline is that you mentioned on August 11th. And Pat, that's what I wanted to ask you about is between now and August 11th. And I would imagine Calgary's going to take their time between now and then. There's no reason to rush any of this. What do you think they're going to be looking for? Like based on all of your reporting, your understanding around the Calgary Flames, what kind of package do they want for Matthew Kachuk? Well, this is the one that I think is maybe the most up in the air, guys. And and I I firmly believe right now there is a lot of um, a lot of debate and a lot of uncertainty as to which direction the flame should take from here. So they've lost their best player, Johnny Gaudreau, 
for nothing. He walked an unrestricted free agency to join the Columbus Blue Jackets. Okay, that happened. It's not ideal. They tried and did everything they could in this negotiation, especially over the last couple of months, to try to keep him. Johnny still decided to go elsewhere. That's fine. That's his prerogative. That's part of free agency. Now, their next best player, who had just, what, 11 fewer points than Johnny just did, Matthew Kachuk, he also has told them he does not want to remain with the Calgary Flames. And, you know, it's kind of like the hits keep on coming. But if if you're the Flames, I, I don't know if there has ever been a more clear sign that, okay, well, maybe it is time to take a step back and to reevaluate and kind of think about whether or not you want to pivot and go in a slightly different direction and, and maybe take the team in a slightly different direction. Cause I don't think there's any, regardless of who they end up getting for Matthew Kachuk in a trade. I, I don't think there's any way they're a better team next year than they were this year where they won their division and won a playoff round. And there were so many good things that happened under Daryl Sutter this past year. You can't convince me that there is any way the Flames are a better team this coming year than they were this past year. And so if, if that's the case and the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, has there ever been a clearer sign to maybe reevaluate and go in a different direction? That being said, I don't believe that the Flames have determined that. And I, that's part of the reason why I think buying themselves some time and making the decision to go to uh, – club elected salary arbitration was so important because they needed to give themselves a little bit more runway to not only negotiate the right trade, but also figure out what type of trade they're going to negotiate here. And let's take, cause everybody's tying the flames and blues together. So let's, let's take St. Louis for an example. Are they trading Matthew Kachuk there? And do they want, you know, there's been, who are the names that have been thrown out there in terms of roster players, Cairo Krug, and Tarasenko have been the three guys that people have linked. Okay, well, maybe the Flames can get those guys from St. Louis. Okay, do you want to do that type of deal, which would help you be more competitive right away? Well, there's that. On the other side, okay, well, maybe you start talking about a first-round pick in a stack 2023 draft, or maybe you start talking about Jake Neighbors or some of the other high-end prospects that St. Louis has been able to build up over the last couple of years. And, and those are two separate prongs and I honestly believe and, and the last check I had and this has been going on for quite some time even before Johnny Gaudreau made his decision because we knew that there was a possibility that one or both of these things could happen there's been a big time internal debate behind closed doors in the hockey ops department behind closed doors going all the way to the top you know the the business side of things and right up to ownership about whether or not they should be going in a different direction whether or not they should be evaluating a rebuild or a retool, whatever R word you want to use, or if they should still try to be competitive. And so that, that is the million-dollar question. I don't think they've come to a conclusion as of yet, and I think that, that continues to be the biggest debate and the biggest discussion behind closed doors for the Flames is what is the proper direction, not just for next season, but for the next three to five years here. So, Pat, I love that because the way that I look at it, I mean, I'm with you. I kind of compare them to the Nashville Predators where Nashville basically came out a couple of years ago and said, we're going to do a competitive rebuild. Well, we're still going to try and compete, but we know we need to start retooling with some assets. And then they found a way to be competitive. And in my opinion, I think they're still a really good team for this upcoming season. Calgary's got good players. Elias Lindholm was really good for them this past year. They still got Sean Monaghan, who has scored 30 goals 
multiple times this season. When I look at the teams that could realistically make this trade and the, the list that came out of teams that would be interested in acquiring Matthew Kachuk and pursuing, there's really only two teams that I think can offer the most competitive package that would keep the the flames in that kind of competitive position and it's Dallas and St. Louis if you look at the options that I've looked at whether it's Jordan Cairo on one side with the Blues or maybe Dallas offers up a Jason Robertson from the Calgary Flames perspective do you feel like Jordan Cairo would be ahead of the pact in terms of player control and keeping them competitive I like I I think if you're getting a player like that as kind of a a centerpiece of a package. I think Flames fans would be thrilled. I think that, you know, depending on what else comes along with it, I think you'd probably need to add to Cairo to, to bring a Kachuk in. But I think that that would be a really nice way to start a package. And whether you add a prospect or a pick or something like that, I mean, yes, the, the Blues would be getting the best player in at least the best player right now in that transaction, and, and this is no knock on Kairou because I think he's a hell of a hockey player, but, you know, as it stands right now, there's no guarantee that Kairou will ever have the same type of NHL impact that Kachuk has right now. So there's a decent chance that St. Louis gets the best player in the deal, period. But depending on what the Flames do with their asset, that they also get on top of a Kairou. Yes, I, I honestly think, guys, that that would, be, um, that would be the type of package that could get going. Now, the interesting thing is you throw Robertson's name out there from Dallas and Calgary just played Dallas in a seven game series a few months ago in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think Robertson is a really, really fun player to watch. And I also think he'd be a guy that they would be interested in, but I, I'm, I, I can see why the the blues would be more willing to part with a player like Cairo than Dallas would with a guy like Robertson, because okay, yeah, you're going forward for forward. If you move a Cairo out and bring in a Kachuk, yes, you're getting better, but it's not like it's not like St. Louis is in a spot where they're bereft of depth forward. It's a very deep group at forward, whereas Dallas, with the decline of Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, that team is not what I would consider a really deep group at forward. Pavelski's great, and Robertson's awesome, and Rope Hintz has turned into a, a really, really good player, but... That is not a team that you like, okay, yeah, forward depth, that's a strength. One of the first things I think about when talking about St. Louis is forward depth. And they could be in a position where, hell, even if they ended up having to move Tarasenko as part of the deal to make the money work, I don't think they're in that big, a big an issue because they've got so much forward depth on that team. So I do think St. Louis is a group, especially, as you said, for like, competitive reasons right now if that's the direction the Flames wanted to go uh, I think St. Louis would absolutely be a team that would be at the top of the list and I think we all know that there is a desire for Kachuk to play there and there has that, that this has been out there and we've been talking about a St. Louis and Matthew Kachuk connection for what two years now <laughs> yeah. like, this is not brand new news so I don't think there would be any surprise if St. Louis ended up being the best fit for Matthew, the best fit for a contract, and also the best fit when it comes to the type of assets Calgary's getting back in return. We're talking to Pat Steinberg for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Fan960Steinberg. Pat, earlier today, Alex mentioned a package involving Jordan Cairo, Zachary Bolduc, who was the Blues' first-round pick recently, and uh, he had 55 goals and 99 points last year down in uh, the queue. 
and a first-round pick. So Kairou, Bull Duke, and a first-round pick for Matthew Kachuk. Do you think that's kind of the package that it's ultimately going to take? Do you think it will be more, less? Where do you think that falls in terms of the the package that it will require to land Matthew Kachuk? If the Flames are willing to go in more of a future-oriented direction with the type of deal that they make for Matthew Kachuk, that's exactly the type of package that I think would get it done. You're getting a high-grade prospect, you're getting a first-round pick, and you're getting a roster player who's pretty good. And, and look, I, I don't know if, if Doug Armstrong and the Blues would, would two-thumbs up that or not. That's a substantial price to pay. But of all those three things, not one of them is the impact maker right now that Matthew Kachuk is. And Matthew Kachuk would turn St. Louis from a good team to probably back to being a true cup contender again. I, I really believe that. When you take a look at what is already there, that's the type of impact I think Matthew Kachuk could make on a team like St. Louis. And that is the type of deal that if the Flames are looking at going in a slightly different direction and they are looking to reset and, and maybe not be uh, or, or be okay with not being as competitive for a few years to build up some assets and develop some prospects and draft some prospects, that's exactly the type of deal that I think would get it done. And that's why I go back. Like, even, even when you're talking about those types of deals, I don't know if there's a better fit than, than St. Louis either because you think of all the things that go into this type of conversation. Number one, there's got to be a desire for a team to bring Matthew Kachuk in. Okay, so we could say probably 31 teams would be interested in bringing Matthew Kachuk in. Number two, he has to be interested in going there and re-signing there, uh, and that whittles it down because, A, you've got to have cap room. B, you've got to have desire on the Kachuk side of things. So now you're talking about, okay, yeah, we're maybe down to a handful of teams. And then number three, there's got to be the right assets, and it's got to still work for the Flames for them to make this deal happen. Like It can't just be uh, a pillaging situation where the team that gets Kachuk is just going to give up nothing and bring him in because Calgary's in a tough spot. So that's why I think that this August 11th deadline was so important in pushing the QO deadline, which was supposed to be tomorrow, and pushing it back a couple of weeks. That's huge because it gives them more runway. And, and to be able to maybe work out a trade like that, like you suggested. And I keep going back. I mean, it, it's too easy to connect the dots with Calgary and St. Louis on this one. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. And who knows? Because definitely I, I think Vegas is an interested party. I think there are other New Jersey's a team that I think has been very much interested in for a number of weeks now going all the way back to the draft. So I don't think St. Louis is the only possibility, but it just makes too much sense. And the assets are there and whether it's Bullduke or whether it's Calgary kid, Jake neighbors or whatever the case may be. I, I just think that there's a lot that suggests that they would be, um, they would be a really good fit. And, and I'm curious whether or not Doug Armstrong is pursuing as, as much as we kind of feel like on the outside, he should be pursuing or he would be pursuing. We're pretty caught. Con- we're pretty confident that he is. Pat, we'll get you out of here in about 30 seconds. Uh, that's about how much time we got left here. When all is said yeah. and done, three weeks from now, do you think that Matthew Kachuk's wearing the blue note? Uh, betting man, if I were to go to one of those betting websites and they gave me a bunch of futures, I would probably, depending on the odds, but if I were to get plus money on the blues, yeah, I'd probably put my money down there because I, that that is that is where I would go if I were to do a power rankings of which team he's going to end up on. St. Louis would still be number one. 
Awesome. He's Pat Steinberg. You can find him on Twitter at Fan960Steinberg. He's a Calgary Flames radio host over on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Pat, we appreciate the time as always, man. Best of luck the next few weeks as you continue monitoring this story up in Calgary, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. All right, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. Absolutely. That's Pat Steinberg joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I want to get your thoughts on that. We now have the deadline for when this deal is going to be done. It's three weeks from now. Pat Steinberg, who knows this team as well as anybody, just told you if he had to bet on somebody, he would bet on the Blues to be the team that ends up making this happen. Who are the other teams that could get involved? And what do they have to offer that would make the Blues up the ante? We'll talk about that in Alex as a Ferrario 5 for you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. So we now have the deadline for when this Matthew Kachuk trade is going to take place. It's going to happen by August 11th. That's when his arbitration hearing is set. And after that, the team that he is traded to can no longer offer him the eight-year extension. They can't, uh, they, they would be locked into whatever that arbitration money is for this year. And then they could offer seven years afterwards, which changes the way that he's going to want. So it's going to get done within the next three weeks or so. Alex, I wanted to ask you, because earlier today you came to us and said, I, I've got the other teams I could be interested in here, in, in Matthew Kachuk. Who would you say are the five other teams to watch in this scenario? The five teams that make the most sense as suitors for Matthew Kachuk in your mind? Huh. Five teams that would make sense for Kachuk. And what do they have to offer? It's, and how does that stack up against them? I don't know about you guys, but it sounds like a T-Bone 5, doesn't it? Hell no! Ferrario 5! T-Bone hit the open! You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5. A top 5 list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top 5. Right, so five teams that make sense for a Kachuk trade. And by the way, we just got a text from the 314 in the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. says, how do you do this without the name Jordan Cairo? How does that math work? Here's a hint. It doesn't. Cairo has to be a part of this trade if you want a Kachuk deal to work, because I think all of these teams I'm about to mention could offer a better package for Matthew Kachuk. I got one surprise in here, too. I'm not going to tell you which one. I'll let you guys figure it out. Arizona. Number five on this list. The Florida Panthers. Florida was on the list that uh, Jeremy Rutherford reported that would be a team he would consider a trade to. Here's the thing, though. They're low on this list because I don't think they have pieces that could make this work in Calgary side. The only pieces that realistically Calgary would look at and say, yeah, we'll pull that trade off are Jonathan Huberdeau or Mackenzie Weger. And both of those guys are unrestricted free agents after this season. And both of those guys, I would imagine, aren't re-signing in Calgary. So... If you're Florida, that's your best beat. Like, they're not trading a Barkov. They're not trading a uh, Ekblad. Like, those guys are cornerstone pieces of their team. They're hoping to put Kachuk with them. So I don't see how Florida makes this deal work. Although they're still on this list, 
they'd have to trade one of those two pieces and Calgary would have to be able to extend those guys. So they're five on this list. Number four on this list is my surprise team, and it's the Arizona Coyotes. Now, I, I know, I know. I, 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 you I, laughed at me when I, I said did, that. I did, but I don't think that this is not possible at all. This is just me thinking, I wonder. I, I don't know why it would be on his list, but here's the only reason I came to this conclusion. Matthew's dad played for the Coyotes organization, obviously when it was the Winnipeg Jets, but they can offer a really good package that Calgary would probably look at. Now, again, I don't know why Arizona would do this because in my opinion, it's probably too much to make Matthew believe that, yeah, we want we want you long-term because we can build around you. But like they could offer a Clayton Keller. They can offer a Jacob Chikrin. They can offer a Nick Schmaltz. They can offer a first-round draft pick, which in their Calgary's eyes is probably going to be a really good draft pick this upcoming year. And they can also offer that guy that they just drafted in Connor Geeky. Now, this would go on the Pat Steinberg area of saying like, hey, we think we're going to have to rebuild. If they think that they're going to have to rebuild, Arizona might be a team that they'd consider. And Matthew, of course, has the connections with Clayton Keller from St. Louis. Again, far-fetched idea, but I do think that maybe there'd be a possibility with this. Number three on this list are the Nashville Predators. Now, Nashville just signed Nito Niederreiter to a two-year, $8 million contract. I don't know if they can make it work. They'd have to ship some money out. But they do have pieces that Calgary might view as, yeah, we take this on. They could trade a Ryan Johansson, which would make the cap work. They could trade a Tanner Janot, who was in the rookie of the year conversation. And they could trade a Dante Fabro, who's a defenseman who played in the top four. That might get it done. I don't think that offer is going to be good enough than St. Louis. St. Louis is number one on my list. But number two on this list, and I had this team as number one on the list, but I flipped it after we talked with Pat Steinberg, are the Dallas Stars. I thought Dallas would make sense because they have, in my opinion, a really good piece to offer in Jason Robertson. Like Jason Robertson might be more desirable for Calgary than Jordan Cairo because he's 23, he just scored 40 plus goals. He's a, he's, a, a, he's a goal scorer. But Jason Robertson is from California. And what did we talk with, um, with Eric Francis about a couple of days ago? Like USA team, Calgary might be gun shy of taking USA teams because they're going to walk. Jason Robertson probably isn't re-signing long-term in Calgary. So I have them too. They could offer a Robertson, hence Gurionov package, which is probably going to be better than St. Louis, but not if they want to re-sign the player, which is why the Blues are number one on this list. I don't see a team that has a better package than the Blues have to offer than Jordan Cairo and Jake Neighbors or Zachary Bolduc in a first-round pick because Cairo would be... This is my assumption here. Maybe not. Maybe he wants to go to the market and see how much he's worth. But Kyrou's from Toronto. Maybe Kyrou, who would want to play for Toronto, looks at it as, yeah, but I can go play for this team and be kind of the pinnacle of that roster now that Goudreau and Kachuk is gone. I could be the number one guy, the star in Calgary. And you're playing with Lindholm, who had a lot of success with Johnny Goudreau, who plays very similar to Jordan Kyrou. I don't see a team that can offer a better package than what the Blues have to offer in Jordan Cairo and Zachary Bolduc or Jake Neighbors. So Jamie brought this up yesterday. What if the Blues tried to include Marco Scandella in this deal? Do you think there's any chance that the Flames would agree to it? Like if if I said, you know what? Army seems very reluctant to part with one of Bolduc or Jake Neighbors. Do you think that if if 
Army said in his negotiation, you know what? You want Bull Duke or neighbors? The only way we're doing that is if if you allow us to include Marco Scandella in this deal for us to make it work money-wise. Do you think that's something that could eventually get done? I, I, I think it could get done because teams do that. I just I think it's going to cost more than that if you want to include Marco Scandella. Like, I think they would ask for neighbors and Bull Duke if you want them to get rid of Marco Scandella, which I don't see Doug doing. The other scenario that I could see Calgary trying to accomplish with it is maybe they attached uh, Milan Lucic to that deal. I believe, yeah, Milan Lucic is, is with Calgary still. He's got a pretty hefty um, price for one more year. I wonder, Calgary might say, we'll take on Scandella, and you don't need to give us neighbors. All you need to give us is Zachary Bolduc, but we'll take on Scandella. You take on Milan Lucic's contract for one more season, which is like $5 Why would the million. Blues dollars. do that? So get, get rid of Marco Scandella because it's one less year of that cap hit. I don't yeah, th- but it's more, and you're already in a cap crunch. I don't think there's any chance. But you're that probably, in, in this scenario, you're still moving Vladimir Tarasenko elsewhere. So maybe you're looking at it as, well, we're bringing in a forward. I don't think it would happen, but I also don't think Calgary would take on Marco Scandella. They've got like 10 defensemen signed for this upcoming season. They need forward help. They don't need defensemen. So even if you were to attach neighbors and not Bolduc, I think they say, no, if you want us to take Scandella, you got to put neighbors and Bolduc in that deal. Interesting. That that would be the that, that's the one that I'm very curious about because I think your deal makes sense. Like the Cairo Bolduke first, that makes sense to me. I wonder if Army's trying over the next three weeks to make it less than that, and that's going to be his negotiating stance. And then at at the end, he's like, "All right, I'll do it if we can include this Marco Scandella." Yeah. Deal. The problem I, I though is that's what you don't want to get outbid by another team if you play that game. Dallas may come in and, and offer more, and, and then you're in a really bad situation. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll have to rewind coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we are almost to the second half of the season for the Cardinals. It starts tomorrow night. What's a bold prediction that you have for the Cardinals? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Second half bold predictions. We'll let you hear ours. Amzinger had one earlier today. We'll hear from you coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's hear some of your bold predictions for the second half. The Cardinals open things up tomorrow night against the Cincinnati Reds. They're going to be on the road up until the trade deadline. And according to all of the numbers, the Cardinals have the easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball. Of course, that's helped by the fact that they play a lot of games against the NL Central down the stretch. Earlier today, I was listening to MLB Network Radio, or excuse me, MLB Network, and Greg Amsinger gave his bold prediction for the second half. This was for baseball at large, but of course, Greg Amsinger's a Cardinals fan, so he went with the Cardinals as his bold prediction. Here's what he had to say. All right, this is bold. Albert Pools. Oh, he stepped in a bucket of sassy in Los Angeles, like my good friend Dan Plesak always says. He's got it back. Get the homer back. He's hitting 22 home runs in the second half, and on the last day of the regular season, he will reach career homer 700. Oh, man, he stole mine. (sighs) So that is certainly a bold prediction. Uh, That is one you could go with if you really chose to do so. I will not be going that route. 
Alex, what's your bold prediction for the Cardinals in the second half of the season? Uh, my bold prediction uh, is that they miss the playoffs because I, wow. I, oh, now I, who's I know. Hey, I'm sorry, oh. but I just, I, I don't see them making a trade for a pitcher. And I feel like that is going to be the biggest depletion of this team moving forward. I think their offense will provide, but I think their, their pitching is going to not assist them. And then I think they're going to fall short of the playoffs. Well, boy, that really brings sorry. the mood down. Sorry, wasn't guys. prepared for that. Well, I'm I, sorry. I'm I a realist. <laughs> okay. I like to live in a realistic world. Uh, my my bold prediction, I, I think you're going to see a second half emergence. Emergence? That ain't a word. Emergence. Resurgence <laughs> from uh, the rookies. I think the rookies are going to have a big second half again. They kind of cooled off at the end. And I'll be honest, I think Nolan Gorman's going to have the biggest second half. I think Nolan Gorman's going to get hot in the second half. And I think he's going to end up finishing with around 20 to 25 home runs. And I know that that's quite a bit concerning. He's at. Who? You said Tyler O'Neill? Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman. Okay. Definitely not Tyler O'Neill. Definitely not Tyler uh, O'Neill. Gorman sits at nine home runs now. I think he gets between 11 and about 16. I think he gets to 2025. I think Nolan Gorman, I don't think we've really seen Gorman go through a hot streak yet. I think he gets hot in the second half and he goes on a tear and helps push this Cardinals team to the playoffs. I asked you if it was Tyler O'Neill that you mentioned because that's mine. I think Tyler O'Neill finishes the season with 20 home runs and 15 stolen bases on the year. I think he gets really hot in the second half. He was getting close to being there before he got hurt. And then everything, of course, gets shut down. I think we forget last year, Tyler O'Neill in the first half was really good, of course. But he ended up in the second half really taking off. That's when he became the Tyler O'Neill that we remembered. He finished with 19 home runs in the second half of the season. You look back at what he did in the month of September in general, or specifically rather, Man, he hit 330 that month with an OPS over 1,100. He had 13 home runs in 30 games in the month of September. He was unbelievable. If Tyler O'Neill goes on a hot streak like that down the stretch and you have one of either Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt going at that point in time, that's when we're going to see this offense get hot again. I think you see another hot streak from Tyler O'Neill. It starts coming early in the second half. He finishes with at least 20 home runs in at least 15 stolen bases. Right now he's at four, or excuse me, at least 20 home runs and at least 15 stolen bases. Right now he's at four home runs in six stolen bases. That is my bold prediction for the second half. I like that because I think Tyler O'Neill is the biggest X factor for oh, the yeah. offense. If you get Tyler O'Neill, then it changes my entire bold prediction because I, I think that benefits this team to get a Tyler O'Neill back. I hope he gets sure. back to that. Can I give you one that's not so negative because people are very angry that I that I I said my bold yeah, prediction. I, I don't blame them. I, I'm unbelievable. These are the same people that have been saying that the Cardinals stink for the last six months. Um, I, I, another bold prediction on the positive side for everyone. I think Miles Michaelis just continues what he's been doing for the second half and gets into the Cy Young conversation. I don't know if there's a drop-off from Miles Michaelis. Like, when healthy, I think this is who Miles Michaelis is. Like, at least, I, I, like, I think when healthy... Tanner, your, your mic has to be on, buddy. It's on. I was just, just turned around. He was talking to the wall instead of the microphone. Yeah. I think he just forgot where he was for a second. No, but I, I think Michaelis has another... I think he continues to have the first half that he did. I... 
I predicted at the beginning of the year he'd have a sub 3-5 ERA. I'm now leaning towards he's going to be below like 3.1. And I figured he'd lead the team in wins. And I think I said it over 100 and I think I said 70 innings. Like I think he's going to surpass what I thought his threshold was going to be at the beginning of the year. And at the beginning of the year, that was really a bold prediction for me. I, the guy that I think the biggest X factor is in that rotation is Matt's. And honestly, I don't know how much you can truly count on him being a uh, resolution to your pitching problems now that he's back from the IL. Here's a few others from the text line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. What is your bold prediction for the second half of the season? Uh, Here's the first one. Bold prediction. The Cardinals go 20 games above 500 in the second half of the season. They play a lot of weak teams. I know you guys are going to call me a homer, but I really think it is possible. Like I said, they have the weakest remaining schedule uh, of any team in baseball, their remaining teams on their schedule have a combined 453 win percentage. So, guys, this would mean that the Cardinals would finish the year 44 and 24 down the stretch. It, I mean, it, it's tough, but they've got 11 games left with Cincinnati, 11 with uh, Chicago, and nine with Pittsburgh. So, that's a combined 31 games against those three teams. Add in another six that are against the Rockies and three against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And oh, by the way, seven down the stretch against the Nationals. I mean, it's not crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. I don't think it's that crazy. I think I think this team... I think they got to go on another run like they did last year. Like a streak like that. I mean, what the teams are I think playing, you just got to dominate me. against the Nationals, the Reds, they the Cubs, those. the Pirates. But they and played the those teams Rockies. in the first half, and, and you were a few games above 500 against those teams? They were better Not than as that. often, though. By percentage, you're going to have a much higher percentage of your games against those teams down the stretch than you will have in the first half. And they're pretty and they're pretty good against them. I think they're 14. No, sorry. I was thinking they were 14-5, and five, but that would be all the games they've played. I, I think they have the potential to be like 14-5 and five against like the Pirates, the Reds. Like the the Reds are going to be even worse in the second half because they're going to be all of those teams will be. Yeah, they're dealing (laughs) Castillo. Uh, The Cubs are going to be moving on from Wilson Contreras and some of their bullpen pieces. The Pirates they don't have a whole lot to sell, but they're still going to sell some pieces like a Jose Quintana and all those guys. You're right because when those teams have to use unknown pitchers that you've never heard of, the Cardinals destroy (laughs) those types of pitchers when they face them. Right? Exactly. That that no name left hander that you've never played against. Yeah, the Cardinals light those guys up. Exactly. Let me ask this a different way because I think when you say twenty games above. 500 in the second half it sounds kind of we- it sounds kind of wild do you guys think that there's any chance the cardinals could get to 95 wins this year they're at, they're at 50, 50 50 and 44 right now i would say no i would take the under on that but i think you're probably looking at 91 92 yeah i'd probably take the under on that too i don't know if they would get to 95 95 that's what it would lot. mean that's if you go 25 games, games above 500, that's how you get to I mean, would, 95 wins. I, I don't think it would completely – like, I wouldn't come in and be like, holy bleep, I can't believe they got to 95 wins. <laughs> but because of how soft their schedule is, I don't know if yeah. it would fully shock me. I just don't know how they're constructed now that they could do it. Now, if they make a move at the deadline, then, yeah, maybe they maybe yeah. they end up doing that. But it wouldn't shock me if they got to 95. But, like, right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit here and say, put your money on it. They're going to get to 95 like on, wins. On August 2nd, I would probably have a different answer than I'm having right now, pending some type of trade. Because if they make some type of significant move, yeah, I could see 95. I could see them going on a run and I could see them finishing 20 games above 500. But if they don't make a significant move and they just add a complimentary piece, that's going to be really hard for me to believe that they can get there. And Six, that's five, what, seven, eight. Sorry, that, that's why my bold prediction was the negative side, because I said, I don't see them making a move. You're not going to live long. Apparently not. Last one here. Bold prediction from the 618. The best starting pitcher in the second half is not currently on the team. 
like in baseball or he just on the Cardinals? <laughs> no, the Cardinals' best pitcher. Oh, okay. is, Zach, is, yeah, I was going to say, Zach, I don't think Zach Davies can get to that level, so I'll say I'm not going to be in on that. Yeah, I don't care with him. Even if they end up making a really good trade, like I, I think this comes down to what your thoughts are on Miles Michaelis, and I tend to agree with you guys. I think Michaelis is really good. Like I think this is real, what we've watched so far from him so far this year. And so it would have to be a really high bar to clear for that pitcher to be their number one going into the playoffs. Yeah, it'd have yeah. to be it'd have to be like Pablo Lopez. Like that's the only guy I can see. Eh, maybe Luis Castillo too, but Thor. I don't think Luis he's realistic. Castillo definitely. Thor for sure. God of Thunder. Giolito. We're hitting the rewind next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. is the one time where you're like the hell with it let's get weird because it's never <laughs> happening again look at all the that's had to happen for this to even be a conversation the ownership situation the nationals actually winning that championship a pandemic striking right after do you think it's ever going to happen again no way this is a freaky weird one-of-a-kind situation that in my view requires freaky weird one-of-a-kind thought process and if that means you got to deviate from your plan shave off your prospects eat a ton of money and get yourself a generational guy for two and a half years and perhaps maybe more you do it this is the one time that you do it that was mike mark carrick excuse me on the athletics baseball show with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Do the Cardinals need pitching? Absolutely. And that's why they're trading for Juan Soto and Patrick Corbin. What? Alex, I've come around. I've come around on this. I was totally against it. And honestly, I'm still hesitant. Like, I'm not saying the Cardinals have to do this. But I'm now in the camp of, I think it would be a smart move of them to do so. I think they can extract some value from Patrick Corbin. It's not as if this is a team that goes out to the open market in free agency and starts throwing their weight around in that respect either. There's not a whole lot of guys that you'd rather have on your roster over the next two years that are expected to become available than Juan Soto. And so, yeah, I think the Cardinals should trade what it's going to take for Patrick Corbin and Juan Soto. By taking on that Patrick Corbin deal you are now limiting the amount of capital that you have to give up for Juan Soto. You might not even have to include Jordan Walker in this deal. So if it ends up being something like Carlson, Liberator, Burleson, McGreevy, Tinkins, if that's the kind of deal that you have to make to be able to do this, I think it's worth it in my mind. I think I'd be, I'm, I've come to the point where I'm more willing to make the trade that includes Patrick Corbin than without Patrick Corbin, because I think the assets you're giving up are less. And I I'm with everyone. I know Patrick Corbin is awful, but I do think I've, I've, I've convinced myself that Patrick Corbin can't be that bad for the blues because it's a different ballpark. It's a different defense. I know I sound crazy. BK sounds crazy, but I think that's officially where I've come into this is I think the best move that the Cardinals could make is to be able to acquire Juan Soto and also get Patrick Corbin and not have to give up as much as you would just to get Soto. 
Yeah, I'm still skeptical of going and acquire Patrick Corbin, going back to being negative Nancy. T-Bone but, just threw up in his mouth. Yeah, I, I don't want to touch Patrick Corbin with a 100-foot pole, and that includes if Juan Soto's the guy holding that pole. So I, I would not I would not want Patrick Corbin part of the deal. And if you got to include Walker to go get Soto, I'm not sure it's worth it. I don't think the Cardinals are just that one piece away and heading towards that World Series contention. So I, I'm out on the Soto market, and I'm out on the Soto and Corbin deal as well. Remember when Robbie Ray was terrible? Yeah, but that that was when early in remember his career. When, remember when Chris Archer was terrible? He's still bad. Uh, I think he'd be better than a couple of your starting pitchers right now. You remember when Martin Perez wasn't very good? Remember like when Carlos Martinez wasn't really good? Well, I, I'm doing... Alex, you're not playing the game oh, correctly. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. My guys didn't stay bad. Remember when, Kyle, did. remember when Kyle Gibson wasn't very good? Well, Yeah, I remember playing the breaking news sounder for him. The yeah. reason why I bring I don't up understand the names this that game. I did... Robbie Ray, Martin Perez, there are guys that have figured it out. Like they, they come back from the other side and they, they don't end up just staying back. John it's Lester? Pos- yeah. I still look at the game. It, it's possible that Patrick Corbin is not just completely all the way gone. He's on a terrible team. He has bad defense behind him. Maybe as a 33-year-old, it's not like he's 40. The guy could find it and get it back with the Cardinals here in St. Louis. And you don't need him to be great. Can he be a number five starter for you? I think the answer to that is yes. And you take that on for the right to have a generational talent. Adam Wainwright, other people are bringing him up. He was failing there for a while. Let's get Adam Wainwright around Patrick Corbin and see what that ends up looking like. Someone said, remember when Drew Verhagen was bad? TJ McFarland, Brett Cecil, Greg Holland, Mike Leake, <laughs> Carlos Martinez? Okay. Fix them. That, that's, my, that's my side of the game. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got Katie Wu joining us tomorrow. We believe Jesse Doherty, the uh, Washington Nationals beat writer, is going to join us. And I think we're going to reach out to Bobby Boogie as well. Let's get some Juan Soto talk tomorrow here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Get it in! You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.